This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. The tributes continue to pour in to Anne Kirkbride. And as I said a moment ago, uh, it turns out there are about three or four of them round her bedside when she passed away. That's lovely. That's lovely. She wasn't conscious, but uh, I suppose somewhere when she's sitting on that cloud up there, she's going, I've not done bad, have you? She was very reluctant as a star. She hated the publicity. She said she wasn't very good at that kind of thing. She was quite a, quite a private person. Uh, the so-called glamour model in a benefit fraudster, she made um, a Playboy film, but apparently she used to suffer depression when she was younger. Right, load of old cobblers, if you ask me. And uh, looking forward to a Saturday lion? Don't. Could be very detrimental to your health. The McCann's troll, who stole from her own parents, and it's official, men shouldn't be at the birth. Well, it puts women off. Uh, the hero farewell for the forgotten RAF veteran... And David Dreary Boy Beckham takes his clothes off and poses in his pants again in one of those I'm-trying-to-look-butch poses. I mean, God, I can imagine if it was your own father. And every time you opened up the papers, there he was in his pants. You'd be going, God in heaven. And, of course, his answer is it pays very well, which, of course, it does. Anyway, nice to be company. I trust you well. Blooming freezing out today. Absolutely freezing. I had my gloves on in the car and everything. That's only because I was frozen to death. And uh, we get all the way into London, and then the driver says to me as we're going through Leicester Square, Big fan. So, there you go. I'd not said a word throughout the entire journey. Because I don't first thing in the morning. You know, I'm not sort of... A, the only person who texted me at about one o'clock this morning was my neighbour, Lynn. And I wish I could tell you a story about her and Bonnie Tyler. But I can't. <laughs> I just wish I could. Such a good one. But anyway, no, I, was, I said to her, listen, she was going out with one of our friends. And I said, oh, can you check on so-and-so, so-and-so? And she did, and she sent me a text. Said, I know you'll be up at this time of the morning. Of course, she was dead right. What I didn't know is that she was up at that time of the morning. Anyway, so uh, here we are. We've reached Wednesday. We've reached the 21st of January. Counting the hours, aren't you, till you get paid now? Counting the hours till you get paid. It's got to that desperate time now where you've looked in the bank account, then you've looked again, and it's still a minus figure. And you've thought to yourself, I can't wait till we get paid, because it's all earmarked, isn't it, this month? It's earmarked if you've got to pay tax. It's earmarked if you've got to... You know, if you've got those bills coming in after Christmas, don't want to ruin your day, but it's it's a nightmare, isn't it, January? I'd be glad we get to February, to be honest with you. Anyway, got the car back yesterday. That was good news. Very good news. And uh, <clears throat> it, uh, it's got the MOT. It's all nicely sparkling and shiny, and it looks wonderful. And having driven around in what can only be described as a fridge with wheels... Uh, to actually sit in a car where you can spread yourself out is just sheer bliss. Sheer bliss. So anyway, so got back. Didn't really do anything yesterday. Didn't do anything. Apart from talk to Bonnie Tyler in the morning. She looks fantastic. You'll hear in the interview this coming week uh, that all I do... I keep saying, but you look amazing. She's 63. Well, she looks fantastic for 63. Must be something in the, in the Welsh water. Do you not think? Anyway, she's at the O2 in uh, Indigo. And I think that's on the 7th of February. 7th of February for Bonnie Tyler. All the hits and more. You know, she hasn't really stopped working. Hasn't really stopped working. We had a very interesting chat about her early days, about the uh, the Bond theme that she never recorded. Lots of things. Lots and lots of things. Uh, working with David Copperfield. All very interesting. So uh, all of that to come this weekend with Johnny Vegas as well. Johnny Vegas, I think one of the best conversations you'll hear 
uh, with Johnny Vegas, is really in really in fine form, fine form. So the tributes continue to pour in, and I think this evening at the National Television Awards, there's going to be a standing ovation for her. I think uh, Bill Roach will say something, and I think the cast of Coronation Street will be there. She probably, I don't think, you know, if she'd been alive, she wouldn't have been there. She didn't do that sort of thing. She was very private, very private. And so I think that they will stand for a few minutes' silence, or failing that, there'll be clips of her, which they're probably putting together now, and uh, it'll be nice. She'd have been thrilled. She would have been thrilled, because any actor or actress who passes away, you'd like to think that you made your mark, and she did. Um, Johnny Briggs said, he said, I don't think there was anybody who didn't like her. I said, it's a little bit like me, actually. It's it's almost it's a, <laughs> almost too perfect, isn't it, really? Uh, every single person likes you. I love her. I can't... I know. It's unbelievable, really. Honestly, next to the Almighty and Mother Teresa, there's Steve Allen on that same list. Hardly, hardly believe it myself. Excuse me. It's like being a saint, actually. It is a bit like being a saint. I wonder what it must be like to be a saint when somebody says you're going to be a saint. I suppose it's like being told that, you know, you've been given a sort of title of sir or something like that. Uh, the Islamist killer who faked his death to return to the UK. <laughs> what a pathetic waste of space he turns out to be. From Hounslow, if you please, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, pictured... Uh, by a severed head, and then wondered why he got arrested when he came back. Duh, thicko. But anyway, we think, we think that there's a link between him and Jihadi John, otherwise known, known as that murdering psychopath out there. The sooner we get him and string him up, the happier I'll feel about it. Because now Jihadi John, otherwise known as that slightly off-kilter person, slightly off-kilter, and um, he's threatened to kill two Japanese hostages unless a £132 million ransom was paid. And to be honest with you, I'm not holding out much hope. I'm really not. You know, he quite clearly is a bit of a psychopath. He's, he's mentally in, unstable. They should have put him down at birth. I mean, he, he really is a waste of space. I'm surprised the baby Jesus hasn't taken him to go and live somewhere else, like hell. That'd be a good place for him. So anyway, can you imagine if Japan goes, well, because they have paid ransoms in the past, but can you imagine if they say, we will pay... Uh, only only 60 million. And he go well, you can have one for 60 million. Imagine trying to pick the one who's going to live and the one who's going to die, because I should imagine uh, these two people uh, know exactly what their fate is going to be. Uh, they've been told to pay up within three days. That's Japan. If I was Japan, if I was these two men, much as though it's absolutely awful, much as though it's absolutely... I would say, no, why would you play into these people's hands? The sooner we get little jihadi John... Once we found out who you are, dearie, you'll be swinging from the end of a rope and we'll all be clapping and cheering. Because, frankly, now you've murdered, what is it, eight people he's murdered? All by himself? I mean, he's, he's operating independently, poor little... Well, he used a very rude word then, actually. <laughs> I have to hold myself back. Because some of the words we've used before on the programme, you think, oh, I don't know, is that right? And you think, yes, of course it is. We know he's a psychopath. We know he's, he's psychologically flawed. I mean, he's mentally ill, isn't he? He just wants to... He's got nothing to do with Islam, got nothing to do with Muslims, he's got nothing to do with anybody, apart from what's going on in his tiny pea brain of a mind. As I said the other day, there's probably just clouds between the ears. You'd have to blow through the cobwebs. Look through his ear. <laughs> blow the cobwebs away. Pathetic, isn't it, really? Uh, other stories. Uh, the Queen's shop fell foul of pate rules. This is at Sandringham. Apparently, somebody pointed out that they're supposed to put an address on jars of pate. And now it's... Ter- Wait for this. Are you not assuming, as indeed I did, that if they're selling stuff in the Sandringham shop, it's come from the Sandringham estate? Would you not assume? No. Apparently not. Um, they do have products that come from abroad. 
which they sell in the shops. It's a bit of a swizz, isn't it, really? I was thinking that the Queen would be 100% honest and all the stuff there. I mean, uh, a second claim that the jars suggested the French-made pâté was British was rejected. In other words, it's French pâté. What's that doing on sale in Sandringham? Can't they make their own? Or is it cheaper to go and buy it from France and then sort of relabel it? A bit like they did in Only Fools and Horses with Peckham Water, where he, th- where he thought if you just filled it up from the tap, you could resell it. Which, of course, <laughs> seems perfectly feasible as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, the other story that's in the paper today, I found uh, another benefit fraudster. Apparently, this, this Julia Martinez um, starred in a raunchy DVD. I can only assume they must be dragging out ugly grannies. Because here she is, obsessed with money, exposed as a benefit fraudster. You see, I'm sorry, people like that, you know, I don't know, I don't know what the penalty would be. She kept a diary as well. Uh, she, she, she claimed disability allowance. I mean, to be honest with you, you just feel like putting her in the stocks and pelting her with rotten fruit. Although, uh, her, her counsel says Miss Martinez has suffered serious depression since her 20s, long before she first made her claim. Who gives a toss? I'm sorry, love, I'm not remotely interested. You're a benefit fraudster. Depression's got bugger all to do with it, to be honest with you. It's just a feeble excuse. Sorry, did you suffer from depression? Yeah, I went through some really bad times. Oh, that's why you claim benefit. No, it's because she's a fraudster. In fact, she kept her diary, said that it was the benefit system that allowed her to live comfortably. You old fraud, honestly. I tell you, if you live next door to me, love... Live next door to me, you'd know about it. Big signs outside your house. Here lives a benefit fraudster. An ugly benefit fraudster. Apparently somebody found out because she made a Playboy film. She works as a model. God in heaven. They must be scraping the barrel on this one. And it was clear she'd acted in a Playboy DVD. Five counts of fraud relating to income support, council tax and disability living allowance. £44,000. And what have they actually done? All she's done, uh, all she's been given, I think, is a nine-month prison sentence. Suspended. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'll be round the house taking everything out of it. We want our money back, love. Okay? Because you're a crook. You're a bent fraud. I want it back. Simple as that. I'm not putting up with these crackpot judges who go, nine months suspended for a year. Oh, sod off. Give us our money back. That's why we're in the state we're in at the moment. You know, too many of these frauds, they go, uh, suspended sentence. No, no, no. Hanging, ladies and gentlemen. That is the way forward. I can't believe it. I can't believe that they actually sort of gave a nut. She must be absolutely laughing at them. Yeah. Benefit system. Easy peasy. Oh, dear. There's also, there's a father here. I mean, he's quite clearly off his trolley, isn't he? Jason Wilkes pleaded guilty to giving his teenage daughter ecstasy. And then when she went into a coma, he failed to get medical help. He pleaded guilty to manslaughter, so sent him to prison for five years. A father who gives his daughter ecstasy. What kind of pond life is that? Unbelievable. Apparently, Chloe had moved in with her father, and um, uh, they entered into a wildly inappropriate relationship. What in God's name is that? What does that mean? I don't like that at all. But anyway, uh, he says, you know, he wishes he could change places with her. Yeah, we wish you could too. We wish you could. So they send him to prison for five years. Do you know, it's amazing now, isn't it? You can actually, you know, through an action, take somebody else's life and you don't get life. You just get five years. Five, it's hardly worth bothering, is it, really? They might as well just close down the prisons now because they're, all, all they're full of is just sort of stupid people who should be in mental homes. I don't understand, you know. So he gave her drugs. His daughter. He gave his daughter drugs. Unbelievable. Quarter past four. Leading 
Britain's Conversation. Nick Ferrari at Breakfast. This morning from 7 on LBC. Nick Ferrari at breakfast this morning as a group of young UKIPers fight a university's rejection of their new society. Nick asks, is it tough being a UKIP supporter? And with the latest employment figures coming out, new research shows that although benefit sanctions on the unemployed do move people off benefits, many aren't actually getting work. They're just dropping out of the system. Nicky Cox from First News, the weekly newspaper for young people. We'll be joining Nick in the studio for the paper review. And that's all after the morning news with Lisa Aziz. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast. I sent um, a text, uh, not a text, I sent a Twitter, I don't remember what I sent now actually, I sent a Twitter to one of our, one of our sister stations, uh, breakfast show presenters, and I'm waiting to see what time he gets up, because this will be quite interesting, because I'm always fascinated by people who sort of do, do breakfast shows, but they're, they, they're able to get up 20 minutes before they're on air. I don't know how people manage it. I mean, it takes me an hour just to pull myself together. It must be an age thing. So as soon as the, the text comes back, which undoubtedly it will when he's in the car, uh, I shall let you know roughly what time he gets up to come in. Can't wait. Can't wait. Uh, the vast majority of Britain's Jews have no intention of leaving the country. Well, I knew that to start with. Why would you want to leave the country? Why do you want to leave the country? It's nice here. People like it. 88% uh, say they've not considered quitting, although 11% might leave. Well, that's not will leave, is it? So in other words, nobody... Nobody's going to be leaving. I mean, why would you want to leave? Stupid survey in the first place. This one was. I can't understand why they bothered doing it. They don't want to leave the UK. Why should anybody be forced out of the UK? For what reason? For what reason? Apparently, um, a third of Britain's Jewish community feel more concerned since the atrocity. But everybody does. Every time there's a bombing, when we had the, you know, the bombings over here, people became very wary of travelling on buses. You know, so it's 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 quite normal reaction, but I love it. So 88% said they've uh, they've not considered quitting, which, as far as I'm concerned, is practically 100%. And the 11% said they might. That's that's they won't. Okay, eight four eight five zero. Stephen LBC dot co dot uk. Uh, another one here. Let's try and get through, try and get through as many of these as we can this morning. Yesterday, I, I, did, I sort of ended the program and I hadn't quite finished doing them all. I did get a thing from Jonathan Shallot which I got from a couple of days ago, so I'm, I'm going to find that one and, and bring that one to you this morning. You know, Jonathan Shallot's got Kelly Brook on his books, and, oh, he's got tons of people, tons of people. He always tells me who he's got, and I'm assuming he's now back for his holes, but he's on, he goes on this cross-trainer. He goes on, on this cross... I don't even know what a cross-trainer is. I think it's something that looks a bit like a skiing machine. They sound terribly expensive, terribly expensive. Not the kind of thing I could ever afford, but uh, but quite nice. Uh, 84850, dot co dot uk and uh, another one here we do uh, we put everything everything and um, another one here this is from uh, maria she said did you see nick ferrari on channel five last night the big debate well that's two nights running he's been on the telly two nights running he's been on the telly <laughs> i did say to him the other day i said Are you? i said very good last night i said you must be a bit tired he said i'm doing it again tonight he was doing the NHS debate. <laughs> Bless him. Love him. Love him to pieces. He'll be with you at uh, 7 o'clock this morning. And um, uh, Val says, I heard your podcast and hope you really have uh, faith in Tesco. I never actually had no faith in Tesco. I've never, I've never been that sort of person. I've never really used it for my shopping all the time. I go in there to buy things. And if you remember yesterday, the reason I went there was to, uh, to buy things. I think Tesco have let themselves down. Even the boss of Tesco has, uh, has admitted that uh, that he's let them down really badly. They've lost their way with their customers. They don't know who their customers are now. That's why they're closing shops left, right and centre. 
she said, uh, even if we work for a supermarket and the Steve Allen standards are passed down to the youngsters, I'm proof. Yes, I mean, I expect a standard. I'm not, I'm not expecting bowing and scraping. I'm looking for politeness. I'm looking for people who are, who are keen to do the work. I'm looking for people who are enthusiastic because I always think if you look sloppy, you look as though you've just dragged yourself out of bed, you quite really couldn't care less, could you? Quite clearly couldn't care less. And Dorman Dom, I don't know where he is. He might be in hospital. You can never tell, actually, nowadays. <laughs> never tell. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. And um, another one here. We're talking about, yes, Hounslow. That's where that uh, jihadist has come from. Hounslow. <laughs> Big surprise there, eh? Not to anybody. Not to anybody. And... Um, I'm not going to have a McDonald's breakfast today. I've given up with McDonald's breakfast. I've decided it's not good for the figure. And I want to be slim, trim and super duper. I've got the doctor tomorrow afternoon, so I've got to make sure that I'm really good for that. So uh, no McDonald's for me at all. Thank you very much indeed. And uh, Junior's back home, cancer free. He says, I can't sleep because the amount of drugs in the body. I know, but isn't that the best feeling? Isn't that the best feeling ever? Just give me drugs. Give me drugs. That's what I like. He says, I'm having tea and crumpets toasted with butter. Small wonder you're on drugs. Good Lord. Mind you, actually, Jackie from Paddock Wood sent, sent me a picture of her. She's got her foot wired up to some machine. I've never heard of your foot being wired up to a machine. She's, she's still in hospital, as we know. You get a lot of people in hospital on this programme, which I, which I like. I don't mind, actually, where, where, where people are. I have no problem at all. I don't care whether you're in hospital, working police officers. We get loads of working police officers. Loads of police officers. I think because this is the boring time of the shift. This is where the drunks have finally staggered off onto the last buses. You know, the food shops have closed down, most of them. And uh, you're sort of thinking, why don't the rest of you just go home? Do us all a favor. <laughs> 84850, Steve at lbc.co.uk. Poor little Paul, bless his heart. He says, I'm lodging a complaint to the BBC to ask why you're employed. I know, I'd be curious to find that one out as well. Producers, fascinated. What, asking the BBC to find out where I'm employed? I don't know, actually. 35 years, sweetness. 35 years. And still going, and thank you so much for writing. Thank you for adding to the figures, which is lovely. There you go, your moment of fame, but unfortunately, your last time of ever being able to write to anybody. Uh, another one here that says, uh, another hour to go, Sean the train driver, and I'm off to bed. Long night shift. I'd love to drive a train. Mind you, I said a while ago, I'd love to drive a, a coach or a bus or something like that. And then I thought, what happens if you get tired? Because I got tired yesterday. I'd done, I'd done my bits and pieces. I went round, was on a building site and looked at cars and sort of... I had a very nice day, actually. Very, very nice day. And then I got in, uh, had something to eat and uh, opened up the old Prosecco, watching a film. And I thought, gee, I could just close my eyes. I thought, don't close your eyes yet. Way too early. Way too early. But you know, you know that you're really tired when you start looking at the clock thinking... Only about another hour to go and I can climb into bed. I love it. I'm in bed. I'm out for the count. I know some people, I know lots of you, cannot sleep. I know that you sit there and you think, if I oh, just so want to go to sleep, and then you, and an hour later your eyes are still half open. You're going, I'm not sleeping. Why am I not sleeping? Generally speaking, the reasons why you don't sleep are smoker, overweight, drink, drink stop it, drinking, um, something on your mind... That's always, that's always something that kind of puts people off. But if you drink before you go to bed, and I mean alcohol, the chances are you're going to get a really, really bad night's sleep. Really bad night's sleep. So the advice is don't. The thing to do is wear yourself out during the daytime. I have no trouble doing that. There's a, there's a crowd of us going out. Well, as I say, there wasn't a crowd of us going out on Friday for lunch. We're going for lobster and burgers. 
And it's, which sounds quite exciting, really. And it started off two. I think there's about eight of us so far. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Uh, Deirdre Barlow became a household name. Anne Kirkbride nearly ta- turned down the Coronation Street role. as She didn't want to live her life in the public eye. Unfortunately, if you're on television or the radio, you're in the public eye. You can't do anything about it. It's just the way it is. Sadly, she's not with us, but she left a legacy. You'll always be able to watch back all her moments, and I'm quite sure, I bet they're even thinking about it now, Coronation Street, the Deirdre years. Because you can trace her all the way back, all the way back, to when she sort of came in and how she changed over the years. Again. Loved it. Absolutely loved her. She was great. You know, 60, way too young. Way too young, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, 84850, oh, steve at lbc.co.uk. Isn't a cross trainer, says Jackie, a bloke in a tracksuit who shouts at you if you don't work hard enough? <laughs> you know, you might be right in this particular case. <laughs> I think that could be funny. Uh, 84850, oh, steve at lbc.co.uk. It's your cheap radio, Alice. That's what it is, love. It's your cheap radio. Uh, I'm going to find that thing a little bit later on. I'm going to find that thing that was sent in a short while ago. Nikki Cox is up because she's coming in to do the papers for Nick Ferrari. And uh, she said, it's too early to be getting up. It's never too early. I'll tell you what's up for sale. A notebook of the maths genius that was Alan Turing, made to crack the German Enigma code in the Second World War. His, uh, his notebook is up for sale. £600,000. Never seen in public before. Dates from 1942. 56 pages of handwritten work. You won't understand a word of it. Not one word, but uh, it sounds brilliant. It sounds brilliant. He talks about all sorts of things in the book and a system uh, invented in the 17th century. Clever, clever man. But of course, if you remember, he was outed as gay and they offered him a choice. And I think the choice was castration or take these drugs. And he took the drugs. Did it? What happened to the? That's right. Chemical castration or jail. And he took the chemical castration and he died as a result of it and the government had to issue an apology a disgraceful government disgraceful government absolutely you know now he gets a huge exhibition in the science museum bletchley park is is dedicated to the memory of alan turing they've even got the letter there from the government apologizing you know for the uh, the hell that they put him through you know an absolute outrage an absolute disgrace but uh, this uh, handbook belonged at one time to Robin Gandhi, a fellow mathematician and friend of Turing. He donated most of Turing's papers to the archive at King's College, Cambridge, but kept the book. Its anonymous current owner is offering it at a Bonham's Fine Art and Manuscript, and a portion of the proceeds go to charity. I wonder, how it, I wonder who it goes. I wonder who actually owns it. That's what I'd be keen to find out. Pardoned, pardoned was uh, Alan Turing in 2013, but he killed himself in 1954, after a conviction for homosexuality, at that time it was illegal. <laughs> Shows how much we've changed, eh? Ridiculous, honestly. I tell you, if this was this day and age, you'd be suing the government. You'd be taking them for every penny. Every penny. Uh, Dion says, what is it with benefit scroungers? I'm virtually housebound, but changed my work and now work from home. Modern technology and pride, savouring up for a, a Mulsan Turbo. Woo, posh old you, eh? Posh old you. But it's, uh, I, I don't understand it either. I suppose because the benefit system is so easy to cheat. It's so easy to cheat. Do you remember the other day we had a woman, um, she's a Nigerian fraudster, 
And uh, I mentioned that because she said she couldn't go home because of, of a violent family or something. Load of old cobblers. I mean, it really is ridiculous. And um, she claimed she'd found this friend of hers passport on a bench and she wanted her child brought up by somebody else so it could claim free NHS treatment. I mean, a fraudster from start to finish. But it's so sophisticated, some of these, you know, frauds. They even have uh, lawyers now that can guide you through the minefield. Listen, if you're coming here, just say you're doing this, say you're doing that. They, they'll lie for you, believe you me. Because they're making money out of it. Years ago, lawyers had some sort of integrity. Not anymore, I'm afraid. 4.30. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. 26 minutes to uh, to five. And Ian says, how can any fool say you work for the BBC? Don't they know what station they're listening to? No, a bit drunky. Uh, he says, anyway, there are two clues to you not being on the BBC. One, you have opinions. And two... You've got an audience. I know. That's exactly how it works. Have you noticed nobody has opinions on the BBC? That's why so many people on the BBC listen to this programme. Poor old Alice. Can I recommend Alice for you? Something apart from, you know, go back to your medication. New batteries in your hearing aid might work. OK, put some new batteries in and it might work a bit better. Poor soul. Honestly, you've got to help out some people, haven't you? Uh, on the subject of... Um, another one here. Of, of Alicia Duval and poor Katie Price. Two ugly enhanced people who have so much in common. They both had nose jobs. They both had boob jobs. They both slept with the same blokes. You know, it's fantastic. And here is Katie Price, who unfortunately turns out to be the biggest wuss in the world. She crawls into the Big Brother house. You know, everybody going, oh, the pr- nobody messes with the pricey. That's just what she says. Unfortunately, you go like that, she falls over. You know, she's weak, pathetic, insecure, really unpleasant. Really, really unpleasant. That's why she can't keep men. How many has she been through so far? Six, seven people? Every single one's left her. Why? She's nasty. She's a nasty piece of work. Unfortunately, in the Big Brother house, she's trying to toady up to as many people as possible, hoping to change the public's image of her. But everybody knows what she's like. Because, you know, she's a fraud. She's fake. She's fake. And as for Alicia Duval, every single critic, without exception, has said, is this the most brainless bimbo in the entire world? And the answer is, she is so thick. I mean, she really is thick. I don't think there's any other way of describing somebody who is so brain dead. You know, it's it's almost an embarrassment, I'm afraid. Almost. I mean, I, I don't really know what to say about her. You can't. There's nothing kind because she just she actually, you know, actually sort of talks drivel, I'm afraid. Absolutely drivel. Poor stuff. Never mind. At least we can laugh at her. We do. We do like a good laugh at people. Uh, the Deirdre Barlow years, uh, says Ben. It would have to be spread out over six episodes. No, I thought it would be um, a DVD. You just bring out a DVD of all her best clips. Because when somebody spent more than 40 years, 40 years on a, on a programme, I think they deserve a DVD. They bring them out for loads of other things. Why not Deirdre Barlow? People would buy that. I would. I'd buy it. Interesting to see how she'll be written out. Well, she's not been in it since October. So it's, uh, and I think it was, it was fairly flexible then. The, the interesting thing was that the cast were not told uh, until literally, I think, just a few hours before they knew that she wasn't going to make it, that they were sort of saying, prepare for the worst. So yesterday they cancelled filming. Now, as far as I know, that's, that might have only occurred about once in the history of Coronation Street. Because they're working to a tight schedule, and it is a tight schedule, they don't really have time to do that. But I think such was the outpouring of, of uh, publicity and people being interested, I think it was a case of, listen, today 
let's not do any filming. Let's, let's, you know, make this her day. Although she's dead, she can't do anything about it. You're not really celebrating anything, are you, after somebody's gone? You can't do a lot. But um, it's interesting because Bill wrote, she was there for him throughout his uh, trial, and he was there for her at the end. So they were obviously, you know, good friends, and that's good. And uh, Beverly Callard, as well, was with her at the end. Uh, she wasn't conscious. She was unconscious. Uh, but at least they were all there. Even um, Dawn Acton, who was Tracy Barlow for a few years, says, I'm shocked and gutted. She was such a huge influence. Everybody seemed to like her. It's tough living with something like that. Uh, Kate Ford says she had the biggest, warmest heart. She was always there for me, a shoulder to cry on. And uh, Tracy Barlow, played by Christabel Finch in 77, says she was always kind. She'd buy me Barbie and Cindy dolls. Everybody liked her. Simple as that. End of, you know. I mean, but I assume that most soap stars are like that. I assume most soap stars are people who are who are liked. And she was she was liked, even though the country went up and down. Tony Blair was, was going to raise questions in the House of Commons about it. It was, it was a spoof. But at the same time, she was still being talked about, you know, free the Weatherfield one and all that kind of stuff. It was a turbulent existence. And at the end of the day, you know, she was just 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 another actress in a soap opera who just went into work, did her job. Went home at the end of the day and just became normal Annie. For that, you know, she was you knew her as Deirdre. And probably people called out, hello, Deirdre, and things like that. Which, hello. <laughs> a little bit difficult, isn't it? Uh, Jackie Beresford's in the papers today. Um, she visited a medium. Although most of them tend to be large. Have you seen these old frauds on the television? Oh, I'm getting an image. Oh, is the name Jack? John? Rupert? Anybody? Um... Oh, he's coming into me now. Um, uh, he had a bicycle. Um, oh, God, he had a bicycle. Wait a minute. They don't know anything, these mediums. They're, they're doing, as I've explained to you a million times before, cold reading. Because either these people are talking to them or they're not. And if they're talking to them, what language are they speaking? You know, my name is Rupert. I used to live at 33 Barnsley Avenue, Weatherfield. You know, that's what they should be saying, but they're not. They're, oh, I don't know. Oh. And, and they don't know anything. What you should do is put them to the test. If ever you go to any of these fraudulent things, you just sit there and say, OK, yeah, that, that's me. Um, what did he say about his Auntie Annie? And wait and see what comes back. <laughs> you can trip them up easily. Anyway, Jackie Beresford goes to a, a medium to contact her hubby, David, and the medium said, is going to help you financially. Which is lovely, isn't it? Two weeks later, she scooped a share on the lottery and got 246000 Now, that is just called... A guess. That's called a guess. Because, you know, he was going to help her financially. It could have gone for ten years. Because the people who go and visit the mediums, or the larges as I prefer to call them, some of them are so big. And, uh, and there's a lot of, lot of gay men doing it for some reason. I don't know why, but they are. And, and I love it. I absolutely love it. I'm fascinated by it. Because I, I sit down and as they're saying things, I'm thinking, what are you saying? Answer, you're not actually saying anything, are you? And then they interview these people. And because they place the idea in their mind, they then go, oh, it was so accurate. And I'm thinking, you watch this back in a year's time. load of old hogwash. It really is. I've seen so many of them on the television. So many of them. And I wouldn't trust any of them that far. It's as simple as that. Uh, Jackie lost David to cancer. So as opposed to saying, how are you? He goes, I'm going to help you financially. Codswallop, isn't it? Absolute codswallop. But anyway, she works... Oh, she worked in Tesco's. How wise to get the money, dear. You never know where it's going, do you, with your job? And uh, two weeks later, she gets this money, and Jackie said, David's looking after me. The psychic told me he was sorry he didn't leave me financially better off, but he was working on a plan. What, did he have a word with Camelot or something? 
Have you ever heard of such hogwash in your entire life? He's working on a plan. He's dead, dear. He's not working on any plan at all. Dust to dust, ashes to ashes, OK? He's working on a plan. I mean, you have to laugh, don't you? You have to laugh at the sheer gullibility of it. You can't believe that people buy into this. Oh, he's looking after me. Sorry he didn't leave me with any more money. You see, that is what I call... That's cold reading. That's like, you know, because every single person, unless you're a multimillionaire, you know, they go, he, he said he's sorry that he didn't leave you better provided. Because nobody knows when they're going to go. I mean, I might, I might go during this programme. I might go in the next two minutes. I don't know. Could have gone in the back of the cab this morning. Don't look frightened. Seriously. I promise you, I'll inconvenience you as much as possible if I do decide to go during the programme. I might just slump forward with my arms wrapped around the microphone. So you'll have to untangle me, because I think rigor mortis could set in fairly quick. <laughs> You've got a mic. You just turn your mic on. And then you, you could do the programme, couldn't you? Hi, everybody. It's uh, it's Will here. Great to be talking to you. And, uh, you know, you could... <laughs> could be quite interesting. So, anyway, so all these people go there. And, uh, you know, he's going to help out financially. He's got a plan. He's dead. Don't be so stupid, honestly. People buy into it. People buy into it. I don't know. Perhaps it's... You know, because they always know if you go to a medium or you go to any of these, uh, these sort of people who want to take your money, uh, they know you're going there for a reason. The reason is, and when we used to do it on LBC years ago, ask Clive Bull. He's the expert on these things. He used to have more psychics on his programme, you know, some of whom, you know, turned out to be OK, but the majority of them, it was just rubbish. And, and people who phoned up were asking about either job, love life, moving, relationship, health. And that's how it fitted in. So, in other words, if you had an elderly person on, they'd sort of go... Oh, have you had trouble with your... They're asking the question, have you had trouble with your feet? They're not saying you've had trouble with your feet because they don't know. They're doing it cold. It's called... It's fumbling in the dark. It's, you know, I'm sure I could sit down and convince any of you that I've got the uh, the gifted powers. I can actually read and I can tell you exactly what you're thinking at any one time. I know this because I'm I'm a bit psychic. I've always been uh, very good at that kind of thing. And that's why that's why I love watching them on the television. Because you sit there and they stare into the distance. Either you're hearing these people or you're not hearing them. And the answer is, they're not hearing them. Which I think is, uh, which is absolutely wonderful. I love it. I can't get enough of it. It's the only thing that, that physically actually excites me. <laughs> uh, a lot of people wondering how they're going to write Deirdre out of Coronation Street. I don't think they've thought about it just yet. Because at the moment she's not, she's not in it. She's not in it. So that's why. That's why. And if, if she was in it, then they would have a they would have a slight problem. But because she's not in it, I, and I can't remember where she is or where she's gone to. I can't remember what's what's happened with her. But anyway, she she wasn't filming. Uh, so she last appeared on screen in October. And uh, so that would have been filmed six weeks before that. Six weeks before that. So that's why. Subject to Big Brother. And uh, one of your listeners said Katie Price and Alicia Duval. Uh, I've got something in common. Oh, yeah, well, they've got everything in common. They both had cosmetic surgery. They both slept with the same men. That's, that's, you know, that's fact. I can't help that. But uh, Phil says, but after they leave the Big Brother house, they'll have something else in common. They've still got no jobs. I know Katie Price doesn't have a... She's got no job. Got no job. I mean, she has a book coming out, but she's got nothing to do with it. She never, she never wrote it. She never writes any of her things. There's not anything she can do. She just sits there and somebody says, your book's out. And it'll probably sell well because it's sold to numpties, you know, people who sort of buy books that are ghosted because it's got Katie Price's name on it. But the rest of her stuff is dire. No TV programme, no no modelling shoots coming. She's got a calendar out, but I mean, to be honest with you, what sort of people buy that? 
Men in raincoats, I suspect. I can't think of anybody. I mean, who buys it? Who seriously buy the Kate? Don't put your hand up, please. No, you wouldn't buy that, would you? You're Morris Club 7, I can tell. Much more Hannah Spearing, whatever her name is. Who? <laughs> love Paul. Paul Catamole. <laughs> I thought you said you love RuPaul. And I began to wonder, that would be an interesting calendar to see. <laughs> Quarter to five. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. This is what everybody wakes up to. Look at the audience figures. They speak for themselves. Uh, Straight-talking pricey is sadly just nicey. The minute the celebrity Big Brother bosses started introducing daft, humiliating tasks, you knew that the game was up. They had to come up with something interesting because celebrity Big Brother's only good when A, they can find a celebrity, and B, when boredom sets in. And, uh, and forces the contestants' worst personality traits out into the open. Well, the rot swiftly set in with the arrival of Katie Price, said to be paid half a million quid, don't believe a word of it, and supposedly to stir things up with her straight-talking ways, don't mess with the pricey, she warns with tedious regularity. The reality, the promised score-settling simply hasn't materialised, and instead we're being <clears throat> treated to cosy chats about shared boyfriends and beauty regimes. Yawn, yawn, yawn. That's Jane Moore writing in her column today. Everybody said exactly the same. The thing about the pricey is that she's about ten years past her sell-by date. Nobody likes her anymore. She's hated universally. Everybody knows it. That's what she said when she went into the house. Her agent said she's going in there to try and change the public perception. The public perception is that she's a nasty, bitter, twisted old has-been from years ago who doesn't have any discernible talent and just is a little baby machine, just has lots of babies. And, uh, you know, and then eventually, I suppose, they'll all end up in rehab. They'll end up writing books because that's the only thing they know. It's like looking at Kerry Katona's kids. I mean, I suppose, really, when your mummy sits down and starts talking about shoving half of Columbia up her nose, you realise... You're in a hiding to nothing. I remember watching the programme where she sat down and played them the film of her talking about doing cocaine. I absolutely could be. But then I thought that's, that's what these sort of people do, isn't it? They come from that side of town. You know, and that side of town is, uh, is really bad. Uh, 84850, steve at uh, I am always right. I'm never wrong, actually. That's the uncanny thing. Unlike most of these fraudulent so-called psychics on the television and uh, the ones who trawl the length and breadth of the land, I'm very rarely wrong. Very, very rarely. You can always count on one hand, I think, in the last ten years of something that I've got horribly wrong. I've always got everything right. And that's why more people listen to this programme than anything else. That's why when you open up the newspapers, you go, wait a minute, Steve Allen was talking about this story the other day. And... Um, one here, this is, oh, the um, Achewbacca. Uh, the reason I say Achewbacca is because Peter Mayhew, who played Chewbacca, is suffering pneumonia. He's seven foot three, he's 70. 70. Because I never knew what he looked like. I now, I, I now know what he, what he looks like. But as Chewbacca, I, d- I didn't have the faintest idea. I just thought it was quite clever. I think the whole thing was clever. And he was a Wookiee. He's just been admitted to hospital. Uh, he lives in Texas. His wife, Angie, says doctors are incredibly happy with his improvements. He will make a full recovery and hopes to be discharged in a few days. He was born in Barnes, in Surrey, posh bit. You know, got a pond and everything else. Recently reprised his Wookiee role to film the next Star Wars instalment. Fellow original cast members Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford also appear. It's good, isn't it? Good. I like that. Here he is, the terrorist Imran Khawaja who tried to trick his way back into Britain with a plan that echoed Reggie Perrin. 
He's a bit stupid. He faked his death with an online announcement he'd been killed in battle, ending with, may Allah accept him. Well, the courts have accepted him now, so that's probably the, probably the same thing, isn't it, Imran? Not the brightest penny in the box. Unfortunately, he was pictured um, holding a severed head. I mean, really, even thick as well, I'm afraid. He's a bodybuilder, for that read, he's doing drugs. He's doing serious drugs. Anyway, he hoped that he could sneak back in from Syria, but we caught him. We caught him. It's good. It's good. It's fantastic. Uh, who knows what we're going to do with him now? I mean, to be honest with you, I suppose, you know, just put him in prison, leave him there for the rest of his life. I love the idea that he's sort of, he's such a compulsive liar, and he thinks that he's a good, he, that he's a good Muslim. May Allah accept him. He's not dead yet. Mind you, could be, could be. I'm more worried about a foreign doctor. Wanted for child rape in America. Has been allowed to live here. The reason is that they thought uh, if he went home, it could uh, be that his human rights would be breached because he faces a potentially lengthy jail term. It means that he could be free in days. He's wanted for child rape. I mean, I don't want to sort of, you know, wave the wrong flag here, but I'm sorry, wanted for child rape and he's living here. In fact, I'll tell you exactly where he's living. He's living in Milton Keynes with his wife and children. He's a Liberian-born doctor called Tobias Bowen and he's been charged with two sex crimes. And um, his defence said his proper place is with his family and the UK is his safe haven. He's wanted on child rape charges. God knows what we've got in this country at the moment. Quite clearly, a lot of uh, internet trolls and, uh, and people who abuse... He needs to go back to face the music. How on earth can we allow somebody like that to stay here? I don't understand that at all. I'll tell you, one of the worst presenters on television at the moment is this Sarah Jane Crawford. God, you've never seen anybody so desperate. <gasps> Absolutely atrocious. Anyway, 50 million dud one-pound coins. Wait a minute. I went to a shop the other day and somebody said to me that, um, that you've got some, some fake coins here. I'm trying to think what they sound like. I've got to look at them as well. I think these ones appear to be OK, but I wouldn't guarantee anything now. The forgers get so, so clever with them. Uh, the, number of, uh, the number detected has fallen in a year as forgers improve them. To beat them, a 12-sided pound coin uh, made of two metals comes into circulation in 2017. Wow. Last year, £11.7 million in counterfeit 10, 20 and £50 notes. Retrieved, but as soon as they bring out these new pound coins, because let's face it, people are only going to do pound coins. They're not going to do. Nobody's going to do a twenty pence piece, are they? Let's face it. That would be a bit stu- or pennies. That would be a bit stupid. They do a pound. You know, if we had a, a ten pound coin, they'd be duplicating ten pound coins. But uh, there's that many in circulation. Check your own. You should be able to tell actually if you drop them. They should sound like that. Your one won't. Okay. There. Well, I think they're all right. I don't know. There should be an easy test. I think they should put a magnet in the middle of each one just to make it a bit more complicated. And then, uh, and then people wouldn't be able to, uh, to mess them about. That would be easier, wouldn't it? Can you imagine if... It... Oh, dear, I've done the wrong thing now. Wait a minute. Oh, God. Oh, I think I've just turned myself... I pushed the wrong button on the, uh, on the computer. Wait a minute. Just bear with me one second. I don't want to miss any of these. I'm having a field day today with my, uh, with my texts and emails. Once I've found out where they've all gone to... Oh, there we are. found them back again now. Now, wait a minute. How do I get them back up to there? Does that go there? Oh, God. Oh, I've lost the will to live. <laughs> oh, I can't do it. I just have to get the, the producer in. He'll have to come and faff about with it again. Uh, other stories which are in the, uh, the papers today. Uh, the biggest poll ever. Britain, they say, is marching to the EU exit door. 80% want to quit the EU. Think that's true? The answer, 
probably, probably the biggest vote on the country's ties to Brussels for 40 years saw an 80% say they no longer want to be in Europe. I don't think we want the Europeans here, do we? I was thinking to myself the other day, how uncrowded would our country be if it weren't for all these people coming in from all over the place? I mean, I should imagine it, would, it, would, it wouldn't be at all busy. I was, I was talking the other day to somebody who's building some... I don't know what I've done. I've ruined it again. I've just messed it up. I can't do it. I know. I did that bit. I was all right with that bit. I went to have a look at some houses the other day. Not not to buy anything, but it's a new development uh, down the road. A friend of mine sold a site. Thank you. And he um, and I'm looking at these houses, and they've got fairly big gardens, fairly big gardens in them. But the one thing that I noticed, I said, uh, how many car parking spaces have they got? Because that's the premium in London. If you've got a car parking space, if you live on a street and you've got a house or a flat or something like that, the, the chances are you drive up and down looking for the parking space. If you've got... A private property, you've either got to drive, or in the case of these new properties going up, they come with one parking space. I said, one parking space? And he said, yeah. And I said, but if if nowadays, and these are three-bedroom houses, three- and four-bedroom houses, I said, if you've got mum and dad and even one child, the chances are that's a three-car family. Mum's got a car, dad's got a car. Years ago, it was only one car. Now, if there's, you know, when... When I go back down to my godchildren, which I am this week, uh, Chris has got a car, Sharon's got a car, Charlotte's got a car, (laughs) they've got a drive, and they've got uh, two other cars and a van. So they've got loads, absolutely loads of things like that. And you do wonder, don't you, that if you're buying a brand new property, and these ones go for about £900,000, and you've only got one parking space, where do you put the other one? The answer is, there isn't any other spaces. So that, that might be a slight, a slight difficulty, a slight difficulty to actually, to actually move the cars somewhere else because there's nowhere else. These, these are properties just off a main road, so there's no parking on the main road. It's, it really is becoming at a premium. Flats that are opposite Twickenham Station, which they're putting up at the moment, come with two parking spaces per property. Uh, now, whether that's the flats or the houses, I don't know, but the flats, a two-bedroom flat... Starts at £550,000. Just over half a... Small wonder young people now cannot afford to get on the housing ladder. Mortgages are available. Good, good, cheap mortgages. Just that you're too frightened to take. Imagine half a million pounds. You'd have to come up with some hell of a... Hell of a deposit. And if you buy a flat, remember, the problem that you've got is that it's going to have service charges. This flat, which I told you about yesterday in Knightsbridge, is a one-bedroom flat. It's £10 million, and the service charge is £32,000 for the year. That's even before you've done anything. That's just for somebody to come and clean the corridors and to pay for the insurance on the building. £32,000 a year. I mean, you, you, you can't, but small wonder people buy houses if they can afford them. But the only thing you can't... I mean, for, the, for that £10 million, God knows how many houses you could buy in Hounslow, probably the whole of Hounslow. You know, you would be wanting to save yourself a load of money, wouldn't you? But it's so expensive. You know, so unless you get some helping hand up the ladder to actually buy your first property, there's very little chance of making it. Very little chance. Shame, really. Shame, because when I first was living in London, to actually buy a property was sort of relatively easy. I think I paid for my first place £34,000. That's what I paid for my first one-bedroom flat, because that was like the the starting price. They always say, go for... 
you know, the house that you can afford or the flat that you can afford, go go for the maximum. So if you can afford a two-bedroom, go for a two-bedroom, because at some point you might want to rent out one of your rooms. But I didn't want to rent out a room, so I had a one-bedroom flat. And luckily, my parents helped me out. If they hadn't helped me out financially, I doubt that I would have got on the market, because you tend not to think about things like that when you're young. You tend to think, oh, I'll go out and have Chinese, and I'll go out and, you know, drink and do all sorts of things. But if you're selling a property at the moment... Uh, I've got some tricks for you. Ten ways to add at least £10,000 to the price of your home without calling in the house doctor, Anne-Maurice, who's very good. She comes in and she goes, right. And they strip everything out and they put in this sort of flooring and they paint neutral colours, stuff like that. So people can see. The one thing you have to do is declutter, declutter. But I've got some ideas for you to add £10,000 to the price of your home because I never know what estate agents do. They just they put a picture in the window and then they bring people round. I mean, couldn't you do it yourself? The answer is yes, you can. Can you save the money? Yes, you can. But let's see if I can add £10,000 to the price of your home and I'll tell you about it after the news. The tributes continue to pour in for Anne Kirkbride. The uh, straight-talking pricey has proven to be the biggest fraud that we've ever seen. Alien radio signals have been found. Coming from across the galaxy. Love it, love it. Uh, just a year in prison for the teacher who had uh, sex with his pupil and then had a, had a baby. 75% of instant access savers accounts pay less than 0.5% interest. The wheelchair boy banned from Stephen Hawking's movie. And you don't have to breed like rabbits to be a good Catholic. Just in case you think that sounds offensive... Uh, those words came from the mouth of the pontiff. I'm Steve Allen. This is LBC. This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Nice to be company. God, I'm in a good mood this morning. Do you know, it's amazing. It's Wednesday. And I'm still in a good mood. It's been lasting for ages at the moment. I've, I haven't had a bitter bone in my body for ages. I'm slightly disturbed by this. The wheelchair boy banned from the Stephen Hawking movie. Uh, it's the Odeon again, I'm afraid. This time it's up north. Not the first time, is it? The McCann's troll who stole from her own parents. That'll be a big surprise. Fit twits, Lucy and Sam. They're, they've fallen out. Hilarious, isn't it? Hilarious. The Agadoo man, you know, Agadoo. He's appeared on The Voice. He wants to be given a second chance. Might have a, a voice singing Agadoo. Whether it goes any further, I don't know. And Britain's most boring convict, the dreary Charles Bronson, who's changed his name yet again. Heartbroken. Apparently his relationship's collapsed. Couldn't help but laugh. And uh, Dermot O'Dreary, still appealing for work. He's hosting the National Television Awards. It'll be interesting to see how long he manages to actually stand still. The answer is not very long. It looks like he's got St Vitus's dance going on or something. Anyway, he sort of said, you know... I think I'd quite like to do a chat show. I think I'd learn how to present first. And uh, the world's most dangerous ice cave. And it really is. It really is dreadful. Poor little Imogen. I was checking Imogen, who sent me in a thing, uh, saying... Oh, she, she sent one to Katie Hopkins. I mean, quite clearly, she's a bit, a bit disturbed upstairs. She says, insulting people doesn't work. Of course it does, Imogen. Nobody's heard of you and everybody's heard of Katie Hopkins. Dumb. And then she says to me, do you have anything nice to say? No. Why would I want anything nice to say? That would make me as dull as you. That's why you don't have any friends. That's how it works nowadays. She's, you must have a chip on your shoulder. 
No, not at all. No, I've got money sitting on my shoulder, which I take into the bank and sort of pour into the bank account. You must be very lonely because you printed a picture of a horse. Unless, of course, that is you. <laughs> Other stories a bit. Let me tell you how to, how to make some money on your house. Uh, ten ways. Firstly, do something with the garden. If the garden looks a bit messy, just, just cutting the grass can sort of help you out. Because people like to look. Also, keep it clean. You've seen them on the television. You've seen them on four in a bed. People go round and they run their finger over the top. Oh, just done it here in the studio. And you run your fingers over the top. And if there's dust on there, people don't like that. Tart up the kitchen. Just painting the kitchen cupboards, if you can do that. You can buy paint. And then changing the door handles. Always well worth doing. Fresh liquor paint is always good. Always very, very good. Uh, sorting out the bathroom is, uh, is good. You know, tidying it up, you know, putting it, folding towels up nicely. Don't just have things thrown all over the place. If the bath mat looks a bit dirty, chuck it out. Buy a new one. It's an investment. It's an investment. Declutter. I think that should be top of everybody's list. Dress to impress. Even if you've got an old suite, put things over it. Um, you know, and, and the first impressions of the house or the flat. You know, so put maybe a plant outside, a hanging basket. You know, not a dead thing that's sitting there because it looks so you're not really that bothered. Flooring's always very good. Cover things over with rugs if necessary. So that's simple little ways there. You know, if, if you go outside your house and there's litter, that could knock 12% off the property value. 12%. And you don't want to do that, do you? The idea is you want to make as much money as possible. And the more money you make, the happier you will be. Anyway, if you have just woken up, it's nice to have your company. It's seven minutes past five with a very chipper Steve Allen today. I'm feeling such a good... I don't know why. I can't work out whether it's because it's nearly payday, which is always fairly exciting in my books, um, or whether it's because it's a bit chilly outside and it's nice to be in the cold and then come into the warm. I don't know. I can't think of any logical... Oh, we've got the car back. That that could be a, a reason for feeling a little bit, a little bit happy. The new face of L'Oreal is... Twiggy. Yes, Twiggy is the new face. And uh, <coughs> very lovely she looks too. Although, to be honest with you, Bonnie Tyler should be the face of Laura. She looks amazing. She's going to be with me this weekend for In Conversation. And uh, not only is uh, she going to be here, but Johnny Vegas as well. So that's Sunday morning between uh, five and six. Then I'm live between six and eight on Sunday morning as we go through the Sunday papers. <laughs> Perhaps that'll appeal to that uh, that poor Imogen there. Perhaps he's putting a picture of a horse up there. But as I say, probably fits. And uh, and what else? What else? What else? What else? What else? Oh, yes, then the programme's repeated on Sunday between 9 and 10. I have to keep mentioning that because um, we do very well on the repeat of In Conversation. I know that f- between 5 and 6 in the morning is a little bit difficult for some people. But uh, many of you managed to make it. Have you looked at a picture of Twiggy in the paper today in the 60s? And now there's not much difference. There's not much difference. She photographs fantastically well. Fantastically well. Uh, there's a cosmetic surgery boom. Did you read the other day? Did you read? I'm going to do it on my free podcast later on today for you. Uh, that Alicia Duval says she only learnt the alphabet three years ago. No, seriously. I, know. I mean, she really is that dim. But then, of course, Katie Price said she hadn't learnt her times tables. I learnt my times tables at home. You know, once one is one, once two is two, once three is... And so you went through seven, six are 42, eight, six are 40. And so it went through there. And if I managed to get through the end of the table, I got an opal fruit. So it was almost like bribery. The quicker you learn your... I used to go to school reciting my tables in my mind. Uh, You know, nine, eight, seven, 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 se
the more sweeties I was going to get. So there was a, there was an incentive for me. But for Alicia Duval to sit there and say that she only learnt the alphabet three years ago is is almost pitifully stupid. I mean, you just can't believe it. I've got a you know, I think my uh, my six year old goddaughter, you know, when she was six, she's now eleven, was doing the alphabet. She could work a phone out at seven. You know, and Alicia Duval is struggling with the alphabet. I mean, is she telling us because she really is thick? Or is she telling us because she wants us to feel sorry for her? Or is she telling us because she really doesn't understand how much we're absolutely laughing at her? Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, What have we got here? A single cup of coffee a day. They did a survey, was it the other day, on Alzheimer's. And apparently if you're doing five cups of coffee a day, it's not good. Now they say a single cup of coffee a day could help ward off skin cancer. However, four cups daily would be the most protective against malignant melanoma. Melanoma. So in other words, so in other words, having told us it can bring on Alzheimer's, now they're telling us that it's going to keep off melanoma. Apparently, the, the volunteers say it's, it's American, so it's not applying to us at all. Everything's different. You can get drugs in America over the counter, which you can't buy here because they're not licensed in this country. Uh, the volunteers had an average age of 63 at the start of the study, when all were free of malignant melanoma, by the end, almost 3,000 have been diagnosed with the skin cancer. Oh, right. So that would be the most protective. Four cups daily against malignant melanoma. The deadly form of cancer, which usually starts in a mole and is triggered by short, sharp bursts of sunlight. There's a, actually, on the subject of that, there's a prisoner um, who's just died. I believe they're suing the prison doctors because they didn't spot the fact that he had cancer. And he died. He was in prison for murder. I can't help feeling. <laughs> not, re- not really that bothered, I'm afraid. Not really that bothered at all. Uh, Tony says, now Twiggy is the new face of L'Oreal. Has old Cheryl Vassini's spag bowl been dropped? I don't, was she L'Oreal? Was that because you're worth it? Was that L'Oreal? Have they dropped her? Oh, my God. Well, that would be a disaster, wouldn't it? Mind you, Katie Price never told us when she was dropped from the Sun newspaper with her column. Most, I mean, you know damn well she never wrote the thing, but it was uh, interesting. Can you smell rain? Yes. Apparently, no, not now. But apparently rain has a certain smell to it. Oh, you think so? Do you? Oh, right. I thought grass, yes. Old water butts. But not rain. I don't think rain's got a smell to it. It's just water, isn't it? Do you get in the bath and go, hmm... This water smells lovely today. Do you say that? No, of course you don't. Do you have a shower? Do you have a rain shower? I've got one of these. It's only a small shower head, actually. I've tried the big shower heads, and to be honest with you, I've drenched everything. So it's easier to have a small shower head, because you can get into those important little places, like your knees. And, uh, and that I quite like. But I've seen somebody. Paul O'Grady had a shower room. I think they call it a wet room. And that's where you stand naked in the middle of a room, about 15 feet by 15 feet. And it, I felt very vulnerable. I didn't do it. I just stood there fully clothed, thinking, it's a wet room. I don't like wet rooms. I've decided. Imagine, you can't hide anywhere. At least in the shower, you can pull the shower curtain around you, or sort of a towel or something like that. In a wet room, there's no protection at all. Here's the wheelchair boy. I knew he was going to make the papers for today. His name's Joe France. He was looking forward to seeing uh, the film about his hero, Stephen Hawking. It's an odd hero to have, but there you go. Anyway, he was told he wouldn't be able to see the theory of everything as there was no wheelchair access. Because in loads of places, there is no wheelchair access. There really is Because actually, if you look around, there aren't that many wheelchairs. You know, I know people say there are loads of... But there aren't. There seriously aren't. We haven't got an invasion unless they all turn up at Parliament. Before Saturday's planned outing, which coincided with Disabled Access Day... Ooh, ooh. 
Uh, Joe's mother, Kelly, phoned the cinema to check about disabled access, only to be told he wouldn't be able to get in. Well, there you go. That's fine. You can't get in because we don't have any disabled access. She asked the staff at the Odeon in Harrogate, and that's very posh, if they could move a showing to a disabled access screen over the weekend. She was told no. Joe's got cerebral palsy and can't walk. Said he was left disappointed and confused. Well, there's no confused. You can't have been left confused by it. Probably just disappointed. The cinemas apologised and offered free tickets to a showing on Friday, but Miss Jones has turned them down. <laughs> well, give me a, what more can they do, dear? What more can they do? You can't do anything else. You know, would you like to come on Friday? No. Well, well what do you want us to do? You know, want us to come and show the film in your back garden or something? I don't know. Libby Purvis writes about Deirdre. She says it's not daft to mourn Deirdre. She taught us so much about life. I remember, I go back to Ray Langton. Deirdre and Ray Langton, played by Neville Buswell, who charmed Deirdre with six penneth of chips. She was a bit sort of the Colleen Rooney of her day. You know, where did you meet Wayne? Uh, met Matt Star Chip Shop. You know, that's where she met him. She was standing there with a bag of chips in her hand. But, you know. <laughs> and so exactly the same for ex-Borstal boy Ray Langton. They got married in 75 and their baby Tracy was born in 77. So how old's Tracy then, if, if 77? Has she gone back in years? And uh, then, of course, Ray Langton had a roving eye and he went off with various people. Uh, Deirdre opened her heart to her friend Gail Tilsley, Helen Worth who's been in it since God created heaven and earth. And then Ken Barlow was eavesdropping at the next table. And then he helped rescue Deirdre when a lorry hit the Rovers. They've had loads of, loads of accidents. And uh, then that was uh, the start of their relationship, which is lovely, actually. Ken and Deirdre married for the first time in 1981, two days before Prince Charles and Lady Diana Spencer. 24 million people tuned in to Corrie. To see it. So, when you think about all the things that she's done, then she had a, an affair with, uh, with Dev. And uh, that was where we had Free the Weatherfield 1. Because this is after uh, credit card fraud and theft. And John Lindsay betrayed her. Tony Blair urged the Home Secretary to look into this miscarriage of justice. That was the, that was the joke there. And, um, and then, you know, she's been in court. She's, she's suffered again. She's suffered... God knows we've suffered with this woman, and uh, she'd be much missed. So two days running now, the papers have gone uh, gone heavy with it, which is good. Leading Britain's conversation, Nick Ferrari at breakfast. This morning from 7 on LBC. Nick and the team at 7 as a group of young UKIPers fight a university's rejection of their new society. Nick asks, is it tough? being a UKIP supporter. And with the latest employment figures coming out, new research shows that although benefit sanctions on the unemployed do move people off benefits, many aren't actually getting work. They're just dropping out of the system. Nikki Cox from First News, the weekly newspaper for young people, joins Nick in the studio for the paper review. She's not been in this studio before, actually. This will be a first, Nikki. You'll like this one. It's what they call intimate. Very intimate. Nick and the team uh, with Nicky Cox doing the papers just after the morning news with Lisa Aziz this morning on LBC. If you have joined us, it's nice to be company. It's 5.20. I just realised, actually, I hadn't actually given you a time check for, for some time. Claire went to see Barnum the other night. I was amazed. Brian Connolly on the tightrope. Well, that's part of, of it. In fact, I don't know why you're amazed by it, because Michael Crawford was doing it years ago. It's not a big tightrope. It's only a low tightrope. I've done tightrope walking. In fact, I think you'll find my tightrope walking is on YouTube. I'm pretty certain... Steve Allen walking the tightrope is on YouTube. I'm pretty certain, actually. Uh, 84850, Steve, at lbc.co.uk. My friend's granddaughter, says Christine, in a wheelchair, was taken through the dustbin area in the theatre to see the pantime. She was very upset. Yes, they don't... You see, the trouble is these old theatres that they have nowadays, they're not geared up for people in wheelchairs. They're really not. 
you often see in, in some theatres, if they've got steps that lead up to them, which they have, they've had to sort of put um, a ramp in down one side. And they have to be so careful because, you know, in the event of a fire, you've got to make sure that person in the wheelchair can get out. You know, when I think about all the big cinemas from years ago, even uh, even in uh, in London, I used to go to some big cinemas around here. I don't think there was any wheelchair access at all. There can't have been. It was all stairs to get into there. And I was I was amazed at how little wheelchair access there is in loads of places. You know, I mean, how are, how are people supposed to open doors? If you're in a wheelchair, you've got to almost reverse up to it, pull the door open, because they're not all automatic doors anymore, are they? So that must be a must be a big problem. But I think if you phone up a cinema and say, my son's in a wheelchair, uh, is the wheelchair access? They say, no, not for this. Then, you know, they've already told you that there isn't. I mean, you just have to kind of, you know, we've all, we've all had our cross to bear in life. You have to wait probably till the film comes out. They've offered tickets for another screening, and she said no. I thought she'd have leapt at the opportunity. You don't, you don't really know what people want. You know, they, they've said sorry, you know, that he was upset. Um, but I don't, I don't really know what else they're supposed to be doing. There's um, an eBay item. Now, I'm not a fan of eBay. There's a lot of stuff on eBay which is fake. If it's labelled, if it's got a name... You know, if you're one of these people who buys labels, 90% of eBay is fake, okay? And you know it's fake when you buy it, because otherwise, you know, you wouldn't be you wouldn't be on there in the first place. You don't seriously think somebody who's got a, a genuine pair of, you know, whatever they happen to be, is going to be selling genuine. No, they're fakes. They're fakes. They're almost sold officially as fakes. It's like any of the jewellery channels on the television. The rubbish that they're selling, it's hilarious. I can only assume that, you know, that they, I remember one of them wrote to me once because I said, I've never seen so much garbage. You know, they, they put up these, they don't even bother putting up the disclaimer now. They're so blatant about it. Here it is. It's £3,600 and now twenty nine ninety nine. And you think, because it's rubbish. It's because it's rubbish. You're buying cheap naff end of, you know, they say, go and get it valued. Yeah. I wonder if anybody's ever done that. You know, oh, it really is worth £3,000. Well, I think we'll be selling it. No, it's worth what you paid for it. That's all it's worth. It's a simple. They just put a price up there because it's appealing to the lowest common denominator. But uh, I was speaking to somebody who works on one of them. One of them, they actually put the jewellery together themselves. They get all these little stones in. Because you'd never believe that tanzanite was terribly rare, would you? Because they seem to have tons of it. They've been selling it for ages. And they go, this is so rare, 1999. And I go, you must be as stupid as you look. You know, but they're appealing to people at the lower end of the jewellery. You know, the sort of people who perhaps haven't been into the high street. The sort of people who haven't actually been to a proper jewellery shop. You know, I mean, a proper jewellery shop where they're selling proper, proper jewels as opposed to... They are selling this stuff, but it's real low-grade. Low-grade. Don't don't be fooled by the bimbos who are flogging it. And for that, include the men as well, I'm afraid. Include the men as well. It's just... It's pitiful to watch, but fascinating at the same time. Because they get so excited, the female presenters. There's a couple of them on there. I mean, I, I don't know where they... They look like they've just walked out of hospitals. Seriously, it's 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 terribly worrying. And they go, I can't, um, how much are we do? I can't believe we're doing it for this price. Are we really doing it for this price? No. Well, that's just. Oh, you must snap this one up, and you go. It's real rubbish. It's real rubbish. I end up shouting at the television, but I'm very good at shouting at the television. I like shouting at the television. I think it's very healthy. Very healthy. It does exercise every muscle in your face. That's what they say. Anyway, here is the man on eBay. I'm sorry, we moved away from him momentarily. And um, here, this is Joel. Uh, and Ressler, and his wife Susan. He 
he, you would have thought he would have fond memories of the buggy he used to wheel his three young children around in. Instead, he used the eBay listing in which he offered it for sale to complain that the stroller had ruined his life, claiming he never wanted children, and it had come to represent everything he hated about being a family man. He clearly struck a chord. Because after hundreds of people bid for the two-seater, which he put on, put on a starting bid of nine ninety nine, what's it up to now? £154,000 for a stroller. I mean, I mean, this is... It's the Phil and Ted's Explorer stroller. And it's now become an internet sensation. It's had 210 bids. You can actually buy a new one for £399. I mean, to be honest with you, do you think he's actually going to get £154,000? Because if, I think if somebody's put that on there, I think you sue them if they don't come up with the money. I think you sue them. Do you remember seeing a guy once? He started off with a paperclip and got a house. And he traded up. He started off selling a paperclip. And with the paperclip, he then got a pen. With a pen, it went to a biro. Then it went to a something else here. And eventually, and then we got to a speedboat. And then after the speedboat, we got a car. Then after the car, we got a flat. And after the flat, we ended up with a house. It was a, it was a, it was a process. And I remember thinking at the time, this other people who sit there who, who think, how can I make money? How can I do this? I know I'll do this. And I'll sell a paperclip and see if I can end up with a house. So in the same way that this man's got a £399 stroller, which carried his three children, um, he, he calls it the Green Albatross, it's now £154,000. I mean, nobody seriously is going to be spending £154,000, are they? Are they? Re- I mean, do you think... It's like Tracy Emin. Do you think she ever slept in that bed, or do you think it's an art installation, as they call them? I like the idea of art installation. I don't understand art. I'll be the first one to admit to you that I really don't understand upside-down Christmas trees, piles of bricks, car tyres, all arranged, and Tracy Emin's unmade, unmade bed. I don't even understand Damien Hurst. I don't even understand that. It's just something terribly, terribly expensive, you know, to cut an animal in half and fill it with formaldehyde. I don't really see it. What do you do with it? Where do you keep that when, when your granny comes to call? You have to hide it in the corner. You don't want to think that's the way she could end up. I don't even understand the, the body exhibition that came round with this man who plasticises people. And, uh, and then you can go round and see people's bodies. I don't, I don't even understand that. So I'm obviously out, out to lunch, aren't I, on these things. I did love the story the other day, and everybody else picked up on it, as indeed they would. The mother sending the bill to a child who snubbed a birthday outing. Because, as any mum will tell you, listening to this programme at the moment, the one thing that really does your head in is all these blooming parties. And if you're in a class, if your child's in a class of, say, 30 kids, which is highly likely in this day and age, there's a very good chance they're going to be going to at least 15 parties in the year. At least, depending on how many people they get on with. If it's a really popular child, you're praying that they fall out with everybody that because you don't want them really to go to all these parties. But they, but they do. They get invited and kids come back and they always go, oh, yeah, this party was good. I mean, I know I've seen it before. You have to wrap a present up, take the present, and then you come back with your balloon and your little party bag and then you go through it. And the, and the kids start rating the parties, depending on how good or how bad it was. They go, oh, well, Muriel's party was really good because we had a clown, we had Punch and Judy, and, uh, and then we had sort of a little pony we could go on and stuff like that. You know, so the parties become more adventurous. 90% of parents now don't even bother doing the parties at home. They do them at venues. There are proper venues where you can go there. I think one of them we went to had a bouncy castle. And the other one was like an adventure area for the kids. Once they were inside the area, then they were safe and they could climb and they had 
balls and, you know, to, to lots of balls, coloured balls in a big sort of... And they could jump into that. Then they went on a rope swing, all sorts of things. But all this costs money. And so there is the, the guide today in the Daily Mail of how to survive the hell of children's parties. You know, gone are the days when we did it. You know, you wrap up a present, you do pass the parcel. Because we were all terribly refined as children. You know, we did actually sort of undo one layer and then pass the parcel quite politely. Nowadays, they rip it. They just rip the paper off to get to the present inside. We used to have a, a, um, a game called the bomb. And it was a big plastic bomb and you wound it up. And as you passed it round, it got click, 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 click. And it would go like that, which always was very frightening. Always good to do with your grandmother if she was incontinent. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Nice to have your company. And uh, Jackie says, I once purchased a ring from one of those jewellery channels for nineteen ninety nine. Got it home, took it to be valued. The shop gave me a price of 10 quid. Absolutely. It's j- You're buying tat. You're buying tat. Everybody knows it's tat. Listen, if they're selling a ring for nineteen ninety nine, it's tat. It's, you know, they go, hmm, this is Tanzanite. I mean, to watch these girls, and there's some poor bloke on there who used to be on this morning, but they sort of pensioned him off. And he's, he's learnt to sort of be very camp and demonstrate jewellery at the same time. It's, it's quite an achievement. But he moves his fingers backwards and forwards, so because if you play it exactly rightly, these things can catch the light. But the bimbos are incredible. Oh, look at the blues and the, and the colour. It's a cheap piece of rubbish. It's a cheap piece of rubbish. The people you're selling it to, they've never even heard the word valuation before. They don't know what it means. It's interesting that Chris, who's doing the travel this morning, was listening to the programme coming in, and I mentioned about McDonald's breakfast. And it it apparently tempted him to to make himself hungry. So he went to McDonald's and discovered they didn't open until five o'clock this morning. So he's now probably in a foul mood. But then, of course, Jacob (laughs) thought exactly the same. He said, oh, God, now I want one. It's funny how you can place an idea in somebody's mind. I was talking to Beth the other day, and I was telling her about the Strand Palace Hotel and the buffet breakfast they do, because she's going to a, a very tall building in London. I can't remember what it's called now. She, she's told me about four times, and it's gone in one ear and out the other. And uh, this, if, if you have a breakfast in the morning, I do like a buffet. I like a buffet breakfast. We can go and pick things out. And I do like the idea, and I can see it in my mind. I can see fried bread in my mind right now. And... I'm sure at British Home Stores for breakfast, I'm salivating thinking about it, I'm sure the woman said, um, are you going to start doing the fried bread now? And I remember thinking, they do fried bread. They do fried bread. I shouldn't, I mean, I shouldn't eat it because it's really, really bad, but I've just got this craving to have fried bread with beans on it. I don't know what, it's ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, it's just bread, which is bad, soaked in oil, bad, and fried. Even worse. Fried bread, what could be worse? But I just, I've got a craving. I've not had it for years. And I just think it could be my little treat. And then I think, no, tr- try not to think about it, Stephen. It's not worth it. I do feel sorry for a lady who was, um, she's called Hilda Holland. I know. Uh, she's 79. Uh, she was flying in, uh, she lives in the West Midlands, flying in uh, from Fuerteventura to Birmingham. And as she was flying in, she got, you know what people do, they go very shortly, ladies and gentlemen, we will be, uh, we will be making our descent now into Birmingham Airport, you know, prepare to be bored rigid. And if you'd like to uh, strap yourself into your seat and, uh, you know, make sure that your table is stowed away and your seat is in the upright position. I've been on so many flights. And uh, anyway, so she, she gets up to get something out of the overhead locker. What falls out? Somebody's bag with a shoe in it. The shoe falls out the locker, hits her on the head. She's unconscious. I shouldn't laugh. She's absolutely sparko. Now, whether or not it's because she was uh, 79, 
So she was she was looking for a cardigan. This shoe falls out, hits her on the head. She's she's gone completely. She was then rushed to the front of the plane where she was treated by two off-duty nurses who happened to be on the flight as well. You know what they say about nurses in Fuerteventura? No? Oh, I'll tell you later. Anyway, the Thomas Cook plane then made an emergency diversion to Lisbon in Portugal where Mrs Holland was taken to hospital. All because of shoe fell out. Uh, Mrs Holland, who lives with her husband John in the West Midlands, oh, there you go, you see, uh, vowed never to fly again after the ordeal. She said it's not worth the risk. My husband thought he'd lost me. She's 79. I mean, I'm assuming it's around the corner. Don't want to be too rude about it, but she's not going to fly ever again, just in case. Or if you do fly, don't open the overhead lockers. It's hilarious, isn't it? Poor soul, honestly. I mean, it's not the, not the kind of thing you expect from, a, from an aeroplane. You really don't. You don't want anything like that. That would be absolutely dreadful. 84850, uh, Christine's not falling for the niceness of, uh, of Kate Hopkins. No, I mean, I don't believe so either. Put it this way, she is nice, though, as a person. That's the silly thing. It's just that the pricey, I mean, she really, at her age, what is she, 78, 79 now? Poor old Katie Price. I know she looks 78, 79, but I'm led to believe she's about 33. And 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 she's she's actually not been confrontational. She's not said anything. You know why? Because she's not intelligent enough to have an argument. If you're going to have an argument with somebody and you're going to win it and it's dead easy with her, you've got to have an element of intelligence. So anybody could win an argument with her. You could win an argument with Alicia Duval, you know, a woman who only three years ago learned the alphabet. The worst thing is she's homeschooling her own daughter. I mean, you know, I know. Hold your hands up. Hold your hands up now. Dear God, you don't want to be anywhere near that woman when she tries to homeschool. And uh, and loads of the other people in there, Kavanagh, Keith Chegwin, to a certain degree. You know, they, they, they are difficult people to have an argument with. Katie Hopkins would be relatively easy for me, very easy for me, because I think I'm better at it. She's tried to pretend she's nasty, but it's an act. It's a total act. She's actually a nice person. Katie Price is just dull. You know, and that's the worst thing you can ever say about anybody at all, is that they're boring. Really, really boring. And that's what Katie Price is, I'm afraid. She can't help it. It's not her fault. She just doesn't get out and do anything. All she's ever done is been been to nightclubs and uh, and had children. And that's it. Rain does smell, says Chris. I don't believe it. I know it's in the paper today. They talk about it. He said there are two parts. The rain hits objects such as plants and then splashes tiny droplets into the air. You've watched a David Attenborough DVD, haven't you? Have you got one of those where they've slowed it down slow motion and the rain hits it and then bounces off? I think we've all seen that one. Uh, the droplets carry the scent of whatever they hit. That can be good or bad. Uh, more commonly, you may smell ozone. The droplets become electrically charged. Oh, God, you're boring. Dear me, I didn't realise it was possible to actually lose somebody halfway through an email. I mean, gracious, it can't be that bad, can it? Can't be that bad. Uh, we're ahead in La France, says Kate. Uh, we're an hour ahead. Got back into bed and made the uh, the fatal error of switching you on, thinking I could go back to sleep. But I can't. <laughs> I know. It's not possible. But once you listen to this, this programme, I don't mind if you just listen, you know, for ten minutes. You cannot go, go to sleep. It's not physically possible. What happened to the old parties, says Richard, when I was a kid? Always at a mate's place. Usually fancy dress. Me in an old curtain with a swimming goggle, swim cap and a gold paper crown. King Canute. Crisps from a bowl, egg sandwiches and cheese and pineapple on a stick. The treat was a bit of birthday cake wrapped in a paper napkin. I know. No, the, the, the actual treat was anybody remembering the words to happy birthday. A birthday to... What's his name? Happy birthday to you, birthday to... Happy birthday, dear. What's your name? Richard. Happy birthday, dear Dickie. Happy birthday to you. And then you get the cake and then you go. Meanwhile, you know, any balloons that 
should surreptitiously fall to the floor immediately stamped on by people. People love stamping on balloons. Kids love stamping on balloons. I remember once they made the fatal mistake at the Wimbledon Theatre of Hinge and Bracket recreating the last night of the proms. And I know because I was there. And the balloons came down too early. And all you could hear was bang, bang, bang. As people were stamping on them and popping them and everything else. It became, became it, was, it was much louder than hinge and bracket at the time. Very annoying. Very annoying. I'm trying to be good with food, says little Julie, since overindulging over Christmas. And now you're talking about fried bread. I know. I mean, to be honest with you, brutally honest, Julie. Uh, no win. I mean, I know. I know. I can see it in my mind. My mum used to do fried bread. Fried bread with a piece of bacon on the top and some beans. Oh, Lord, making myself ill even thinking about it. Uh, the McCann's Troll. This is a woman who repeatedly accused Madeleine McCann's parents of neglect. Left her own elderly mother and father in squalor for five weeks. This is Debbie Butler. She's an ugly. And she handed out leaflets. Handed out leaflets. I mean, she's that sick. Suggesting Jerry and Kate McCann were responsible for their daughter's disappearance. She was supposed to be caring for her parents who both suffered with dementia. Instead... This dimbo went off on holiday to Spain, where she allegedly had an extramarital affair. She'd stolen £18,500 from her parents to fund her trip. After being left helpless for more than a month, her mother died. Uh, This woman's sister then found their 79-year-old father, a former Met police officer and Royal Marine veteran, emaciated and covered in his own filth. This woman was handed... Wait for this one. This is a suspended prison sentence. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She'd taken cash from her parents' account, used their debit cards. I mean, she hadn't arranged any carers at all. And the judge said you brought tremendous shame on yourself. Suspended prison sentence. I mean, you just you can't believe it, can you, really? Butler, this is uh, this Debbie Butler, chaired the Madeline Foundation, which supposedly campaigned for justice for three-year-old Madeline. She arranged for hundreds of inflammatory leaflets to be distributed in the McCann's home village. I mean, it's just ridiculous. A hearing later this year will determine how Butler of Maidstone is to repay what she stole. She was convicted in December of four counts of false representation. You ugly. You ugly. The mail has made a donation to Dementia UK. I mean, it's just absolutely appalling, isn't it? So she, she hands out all these leaflets. What an evil person. What an evil person. I mean, at least the other one had the good grace to take her own life after trolling the McCanns. That was a church-going person. I mean, it just got... It's just got so ludicrous, has it not? 16 minutes to uh, 6, in case you're clock-watching this morning, in case you're worried about the time. I wouldn't worry about the time. It's Wednesday. There's nothing to worry about at all. Uh, apart from David Beckham modelling his underpants again. Do you know, honestly, the guff that David Beckham comes up with? Apparently... Uh, David describes the spring 2015 collection as simple and anchored by jeans and bomber jackets. I mean, it's almost, it's, it's almost narcissistic time. It's all about the things we wear day to day. We've just kept to that, he said. Each piece is a new classic that will update every man's spring wardrobe with great style. It's a pair of pants, all right, and a bomber jacket. Do me a favour, honestly. Perhaps Davy Boy Beckham's more simple than we think. But in your pants again. What an embarrassment. And he, he, he does this sort of butch moody look. Because you know if he smiles, he looks a bit like... Mm? He looks a bit geeky, I'm afraid. So here it is. It's Modern Essentials, selected by David Beckham. So what they've done is they put a line of things out and go, which one do you like, Dave? Dave, over here, sweet pea. Over here. Yeah, Dave, David. Le- come on. Leave the railway alone. Come over here. Come on. Okay, put the whiskey down, dear. We know you don't drink it. Let's not be silly. That's a butch man's drink. Anyway, okay, which clothes do you like? 
Like like the pants. Okay, David's picked the pants. And do you like like the bomber jacket? Like the bomber jacket. David's got the bomber jacket as well, and a pair of jeans, because that's essential for every man's wardrobe. This is the man who went out in a sarong, ladies and gentlemen. I rest my case. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. So you've seen all the pictures in the uh, the paper of Jihadi John uh, demanding two hundred million pounds for the Japanese hostages. I think it's via very unlikely the money is going to be forthcoming. Uh, he addresses the Japanese public, and uh, this psychopath says, "Your government has decided to pay two hundred million pounds to fight the Islamic State. No, we're just fighting you." We're just fighting the mentally ill ones who are nothing to do with Islam, OK? Simple as that. He says you've got 72 hours to pressure the government into paying £200 million to save your citizens. The Prime Minister described the threat as unforgivable and demanded that uh, uh, IS immediately release the men. Well, I shouldn't imagine that's going to happen any time soon, you know, because he's a psychopath, he's mentally disturbed, and he's not remotely interested. They're not going to get the money. I think it's highly unlikely. Why would you want to pay money? Why would you want to pay money? I mean, you have to almost say that these, these men's fate is sealed, I'm afraid. Um, even though you feel immensely sorry for them, nobody's going to, to kowtow to this jihadi John, pathetic waste of space. Uh, there's a lovely story of a house in the paper today. They say it was inspired by Thunderbirds. I don't know why. It doesn't look anything like Thunderbirds. Tracy Island, the house disappeared. It goes underground and then it came up above ground. Yeah, it went, went down, didn't it? And then it was above ground. So, but this one here is above ground permanently. It doesn't look anything like Thunderbirds. Anyway, it was built by a property developer called Eddie Mitchell, who was inspired by Tracy Island. He's got a personalised number plate, Ed, E-D-D. I mean, it gives you a rough idea where we're coming from. Anyway, he built it in 2005. It's in the millionaire's enclave of Sandbanks, which is, which is quite posh, incidentally. Sandbanks is, is sort of quite posh. Anyway, he was asking £4 million for it. It didn't sell. Nobody was interested. They looked at it and went, no. Even though, really, to be honest with you, when you look at £10 million for a one-bedroom flat in Knightsbridge, which, of course, is also... That's been sitting there since God created heaven and earth. Anyway, it didn't sell. came back on the market for £3 million last April. And finally, it was bought by the chief executive of an oil drilling consultancy uh, for £1.9 million, So, less than half price. Mr Mitchell, believed to have made no profit, having paid £1.9 million to build the place. The price it sold for is a snip. Well, I mean, to be honest with you, I think it is, you know, if you like that kind of thing. It's all sort of glass and, and something else. Because I love, I love that programme on the television. What's it called? Grand Designs. Oh, in Tenby, which I believe is in Welsh Wales. Uh, there was a couple there who bought an old uh, lifeboat station, complete with the slip and everything. Well, it looks beautiful. They're not over, they're, they're overlooked by loads of people. But their outlook is, because it's a lifeboat station, they're actually on the sea. They're on stilts. Beautiful. I mean, absolutely. They've quite seriously spent no end of money on it. And I sat there this morning. And in the end, I had to sort of rush through getting ready because I was so captivated by how beautiful it looked. Just makes you realise, doesn't it? If you've got some money, you can have some stunning places, some stunning places. So tonight is the National Television Awards. There will be a tribute to Deirdre Barlow and Kirkbride. And it will be led by, I should imagine, a lot of the cast of Coronation Street. I should imagine uh, they will ask everybody to stand up. They will show clips uh, of her life, and I think they will stand in a minute's silence. I don't think it's ever been done before. I don't think they've ever done it, anything like that. I mean, so beloved was she. I mean, she must be. This is two days now of blanket coverage in the newspapers. One of them has got pages and pages, because it turned out yesterday, an interview I was watching with um, with uh, with Bill Roach, when he, when he was asked, you know, when did you last see her? And he said, yesterday. 
which was when she died, and he was with her at her bedside. He was there. Um, Beverly Callard was there. Her husband was there. Might have been a, a, somebody else there as well. I can't remember. And uh, she was unconscious, so she wasn't a- awake to see them. But, as they say, the last sense that goes is your hearing, so she would have been aware of the fact that people were there. And so I think at the National Television Awards they'll be, they'll be doing it just... I just hope that Dermot O'Dreary doesn't manage to sort of lounge all over the place and really sort of cheapen the tone of it. But anyway, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's getting suited and booted for his dream of a TV chat show. Oh, God, we've seen so many bad TV chat shows. I mean, the, the current one with Mel and Sue is possibly the worst I've ever seen on television. And it's a shame because I love Sue Perkins. I think she's great. Together, they have no chemistry at all. Nothing. Zero. Zilch. The programme is two past-their-sell-by daytime presenters, and it was only briefly they did Mel and Sue do lunch or something, which was sort of okay. This one is dreadful. It's just there's no personality. There's no, they're fighting against each other as to who emerges as the funny one, which is, of course, neither of them. When you're battling, it just doesn't work. That's the, that's the whole art of doing a double-headed programme. It's, you know, you've got to have an empathy. You never see Anton Deck fighting over space for the microphone. In I'm Afraid Mel and Sue, it's fighting over it. They both think they're terribly funny. And unfortunately, on this programme, it is seriously watching it going... This is the worst programme I've ever seen on television. Perhaps they should give it to the goggle boxers, because it's, it's just ghastly. To watch two middle-aged women pretending to be 17 is pathetic. It's ghastly. Anyway, so Dermot O'Dreary uh, thinks he can do a chat show, uh, because he's sort of... He thinks that, you know, even though middle of, of February, I think it is, is when they do contract negotiations for the X Factor. He's done it for eight years, and he said, nobody said anything. I thought, because it's January, dear. It's January. And he says, of course I want to do it, but of course I want to do other stuff. I don't think it's in the offing. It's very sweet. He says, I'd like to do a show live where I interview people. Yeah, I mean, I just I don't think it's going to happen. Who would you interview? You haven't been around long enough to interview people. You've got to have some sort of credibility within the, within the industry. And yours is, you know, you better stick being a youth presenter because that's, there's no point in topping yourself on it you know that's that's the level he says as long as i'm still enjoying i want to do it all and he reckons that the tv challenge show still has legs with or without him well of course it has i mean you know nobody's bigger than the show you could all be replaced everybody could be replaced on that show it might hemorrhage a few thousand hundred thousand audience members but uh, the show will survive it's like coronation street it's not going to collapse because deirdre barlow's not in it i'm surprised i said earlier on they actually suspended filming because they're on such a tight schedule they have to they have to keep going. But uh, he says here, uh, it was a good year. Everybody's going to be slightly sharper when the boss is back and Cheryl comes with her own star power. Really? Not if, we're, not if we've heard she's just been dropped by L'Oreal. What star power? What star power has Cheryl Cole got? Sorry, Cheryl Vassini, Versace, Spagbol. I mean, what, she, she hasn't got any. Don't, there isn't any star power there at all. She's just a chav and they've tarted her up for the television. <coughs> doesn't have any credibility on it, as far as I've noticed. Mind you, I'm not really watching The X Factor. I just kind of wait till the end and they just produce somebody who brings an album out. Interesting, we were talking about this, and we'll have clips on Friday's programme with Bonnie Tyler. Because the one thing that annoys her is people using auto-tune. Auto-tune, I can name you a ton of groups who do, who do auto-tune. Um... And they obviously believe that they could sing. That's why when these groups split up and they all go out there, they, they can't. They have no credibility at all. They, they, they're not singers. Bonnie Tyler sings. That's what she does. She's been singing since she was 12, 13 years old. 
She had her first record back in, I think, her first hit single, in back in sort of 60, 79, something like that. You know, some of these other people, they just go on a television programme and they go, oh, right, now I'm a pop star. I've said before, half of these people you won't see in a year's time because the next programme will have started. And it's very disposable. Very, very disposable. All it is now is they go on there, Psycho bring out an album. It doesn't matter whether you've got a million pound contract. Because if you don't sell after your first album, they're not going to be making another album with you. Why would they waste time? It's all written into the contracts. All written in so that, that, so that you can see exactly what you're getting. The moment you don't sell, pfft, you're out. They're not going to hang up. They're not going to nurture somebody. You're either selling albums or you're not. And the trouble is, once you're not on the television... Once you can't get the coverage, you're not going to sell albums. You only get albums being sold if you get coverage on the television. What do you think Cheryl Spagbol is on the X Factor for? So that when she brings out a new miming, sorry, a singing record, she can actually go and dance up and down a few times and pretend that she could actually manage a concert, which, of course, she can't. As you know, she's exhausted after one record. Totally exhausted. She hasn't got enough stamina in her body. You've got to work up to it like Madonna. That's why Madonna does a little bit of mime, a little bit of sing. That's the way it works. You've got to work it out. Unfortunately, Cheryl Vassini Spagbol's got no idea. So you stick her on the programme, and that's her vehicle for flogging her record. Without that, wouldn't happen. Wouldn't happen. It's a beautiful ice grotto, which uh, is photographed in the paper today. The only paper I've found it in is the Metro. It's a Siberian ice cave. It's absolutely amazing. It's in the uh, Baikal Lake. And you have to cross the lake to get to the hidden ice grotto. And you've got to be careful that the stalactites, tights come down, stalagmites go up. That's how you remember it, OK? Just in case you'd forgotten these things. Um, they, they don't break off and kill you. But it's absolutely stunningly beautiful. It is. I mean, lots of people have come to grief on the cracked ice that surrounds the island and the cave. But to see the picture of it is just like... Wow. Wow. I've seen one of these, might be an Attenborough programme or one of these uh, Our Fantastic Earth, where they go inside and there's a cave full of these beautiful rock crystals. I mean, the most stunning thing I've ever seen. Very, very exciting. I like anything like that. I'm fascinated by glaciers. Don't exactly want to sit in one, but I'm fascinated. So if you get the Metro, you'll get the picture of the hidden ice grotto. Another one of those pictures you go, wow, now there's a place I'd like to go. The alien radio signal's been found. It's not this programme, I promise you. Uh, the £20 heart attack test that will save thousands of women. Uh, women are more likely to have a faith in God, apparently, than men. Men, men don't seem to be into it as much as women. Mainly because women outlive men, so I suppose they're going to be spending more time in churches. Uh, according to the good pontiff, you don't have to breed like rabbits to be a good Catholic. Oh, if only people took that to heart. The hero's farewell for a forgotten RAF veteran, a veteran, and we found the best B&B in the world. From the outside, it looks awful, but apparently inside, they absolutely love it. And Britain's most boring convict, dreary old Charlie Bronson, who's not Charlie Bronson at all, is heartbroken. You could weep, couldn't you? It's LBC, I'm Steve Allen. This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning. Nice to be company. It's Wednesday, the 21st of January. I know it's only 2015. It seems like ages. They're going to bring in the new pound coins, they reckon, in 2017. Why it takes them so long. They reckon there's 50 million pounds worth of pound coins doing the rounds at the moment, which are fake. Are fake. Uh, the British jihadist in all the papers today, 
he hoaxed his own death, but luckily we saw through it because he's a bit dim. The tributes pouring in still for Anne Kirkbride at the National Television Awards this evening. There will be a special tribute to her. The £20 heart attack test, which will save thousands of women. And those instant saver accounts, most of them pay less than 0.5%. Hardly worth bothering, really. Women are more likely to have a faith in God, mainly because women outlive men. I suppose because they nag most of the time. Uh, the Agadoo man, who's taken a chance on The Voice, he had the hit with Agadoo, and uh, now he's decided he wants uh, another get. The trauma doesn't quite look right. Doesn't quite look right. And I don't care what anybody says. I think if you're going to go on to one of these programmes, I think you've got to have something resembling a look. You know, you, I mean, to actually have looks and you've got the talent, fantastic. Unfortunately, there's a lot of ugly people who can sing. And that doesn't help the business at all. Uh, Britain's most boring convict. This is Charles Bronson. It's not his real name. He took the name of Charles Bronson because they wanted to make a name for himself. He's so ultimately dull. And he's now changed his name again. I can't remember what it is. Anyway, it turns out his latest fiancé has ditched him and he's heartbroken. Like anybody cares. Like anybody cares. Although, luckily for her... They decided to put her on this morning, the programme I shall put anybody on there. I mean, frankly, you know, I mean, <laughs> literally, you can guarantee if you go through the papers of a daytime, you can pick out the people they're going to put on there. If there's a benefit scrounger who's overweight or somebody who's got 1,500 children, you know, lined up all over the place, they're going to be on this morning. That's how it works. And Philip Schofield has to do his best to try and struggle through. They can't give them to Mel and Sue. Because they're just not up for it. I mean, it was, it was, it's just pitifully dreadful at the moment. Pitifully dreadful. I don't know how long the programme's running. I hope not too long. Hope not too long. Uh, in the papers today, and we'll run through the front pages in a moment, Chef Ramsay. That's what they call him in America. You know, we just call him Gordon. And uh, he's lost a court battle. It's going to cost him, I think, about one point something million to, uh, to, to sort this one out. It's a, it's a dreadful mess. It really is. Uh, also, Deirdre, honoured at the TV Awards. As I say, they're preparing something even as we speak. And they'll put together... And the cast will come down, no doubt. And there will be a standing ovation for her. And she'll be clapped. And it'll be absolutely wonderful. And uh, there won't be a dry eye in the house. And she'd be thrilled. Uh, Anne Widdicombe's column today. Little Widdy. Here she is. Still struggling on. And... Um, she talks about the lying boy. Do you remember the boy who uh, wrote a book? How he was in a coma for two months. He died and went to heaven. And I said at the time, he's a liar. He's a liar. It turns out his parents are, let's just call them ministers in a certain sort of church over in America. And they'd obviously groomed him to come up with this claptrap. So he wrote a book about it. Now he said it was, he made it up. It's not true at all. None of it ever happened. Which, of course, is what we said in the first place. You do get these uh, crackpot preachers in America. Some of them are highly dangerous. They're, they're designed to extract money from people. And so this boy, and I think there was a film made as well, based on the fact he said that he was in a coma and then he died and he went to heaven. And I said, cobblers. Absolute rubbish. Lying from an early age. And here it is. But at least he's been honest, says Anne Widdicombe. Yeah, only after he's written the book, dear. Unlike the girls in the case of the Cottingley fairies. Remember the two little girls? I think they were about 11 at the time. And they claimed there were fairies at the bottom of their garden. Uh, Anne gets it wrong. Gets it wrong. She hasn't checked her facts properly. And she says they didn't admit the deception until they were in their 80s. No, no, no. Uh, one of them died and never admitted anything at all. And the other one 
then admitted that there was a problem. So you must get your facts right, Anne. I, I like to put you right because you're an MP and you like to get things, you know, proper. And uh, all they did, they just... Our people never saw through it. I've got no idea. They cut pictures of fairies out of books. They hung them with thread in a tree and then they took a photograph of themselves talking to them. They were talking to a piece of paper. And, uh, and they kept it going for ages. How anybody ever believed it? I've got no idea. I saw straight away it was a cutout. No such thing as fairies at the bottom of the garden. Oh, I don't know. In Judge, Judge Rinder's case, there might be. There's probably a very good chance there's quite an army of them down there, I should imagine. But uh, as for young Alex, she says here, if he made any money from his lying book, the money should now be uh, all paid back. Well, how do you pay back people? How do you pay back people that you've, uh, that you've hoodwinked? You know, it's, it's a difficult thing. You know, people like buying into this, this sort of guff. But uh, she does say if people are daft enough to believe in fairies, why disillusion them with reality? Yeah, but people want to believe it, don't they? You know, as I said before, it's like all these people who go, oh, there's an aura about you. You know, they say, I can see an aura. They can't see anything at all. They're just crackpots. They really are. It's very, very worrying, really. And more. Why are we so interested in the army's first sex swap officer? This is day three of Hannah, who's still a committed soldier, but loves her femininity. Who cares? Dear Lord above, why don't you just get this of the other soldiers out there and go, is it difficult to find a girlfriend now you're in the army? Born a boy. She doesn't talk about the boy's name. Um, and 18 months ago, she decided to stop living a lie and become a woman. She must have appeared on this morning. If not, she must have been booked. Because that's the sort of story they like, isn't it? To be honest with it, who cares? I'm so bored with this kind of stuff. It's just so dreary. It's of no interest to anybody. That's why, wasn't it a short while ago, they were asking school children of the age of... Was it 10? Do you know anybody who's transgender? Do you know anybody who was born into the wrong body? My maths teacher was definitely born into the wrong body. Just being born was the problem. And she never dreamed she'd be a TV star. Deirdre Barlow was the household name. Anne Kirkbride uh, didn't want to be a star. Unfortunately, you're kind of in the wrong business. If you, uh, you know, if you go into the business of telly, or if you go into the business uh, where you're an entertainer, you have, to, you have to accept everything that goes along with it. And what goes along with it is people being interested, people, um, you know, wanting to take your picture, people wanting to talk to you, uh, all sorts of people who are interested in you. Papers want to do stories, they want to do features. Some people embrace it. It's generally the people who are desperate for attention who go out there. I mean, I'm, I can think off the top of my head, you know, the Sarah Hardings of this world, the Chloe Maidleys, the people who sort of tell you the latest boyfriend they're going out with, like, anybody cares. And then when it all backfires on them, they sort of, they burst into tears because they can't cope with life. I want to be with Sarah Brightman at the moment. She's at a, what? She's at a space, you're not going to take your clothes off again, are you, like yesterday? We had this bizarre scenario yesterday, where all of a sudden I was sort of sitting here, staring into the distance, and the lights start dimming and flashing on and off, and then a spotlight comes on, and Nick Ferrari's sort of, what do we describe you as, <laughs> Nick Ferrari's helper? He starts taking his clothes off. In fr- I mean, there was no curtains that came across here, like it was one of those sort of, you know, booth things which you have in places nowadays. It was just blatant. No, no whys or wherefore, just started taking his clothes off. Apparently it was quite hot in there. It's quite hot in here, but I'm keeping them on, I'm telling you. Anyway, Sarah Brightman is currently training uh, to be a cosmonaut. She's in Moscow. She's paid a fortune, I believe. And she's preparing for a space flight. How exciting. I think she's paid something, quite uh, millions. I'm sure it's millions, because I think if you pay the millions, they will train you as a cosmonaut, and then you can go up there. I mean, I love the idea of this. Why Sarah Brightman? I don't know. She was always the one who said that when she divorced Andrew, she didn't really, Andrew Lloyd Webber, she didn't really want anything. 
you know, because she was independently wealthy, she'd made her money, and uh, because she goes around the world singing. But she's obviously decided that this is something she wants to do. She wants to be a cosmonaut, so she's training in Moscow at the moment, and she will go up there. Whether they give you a video at the end of it, I don't know, going, this was your, this was your trip into space. I love the idea. Can you imagine? Dangerous, but, but at the same time, very, very exciting. Very, very exciting. So I can't wait. Perhaps when she comes back, she can come in for in conversation, and we can actually talk about what it's really like to go outside and sort of look down on the earth. Sounds fascinating to me. 84850steve@lbc.co.uk. at We shall weave everything in on the programme. Uh, I'll give you the, uh, the weather rundown as well. Is it going to be good? Well, so far, no snow, but we had a little bit of rain, and I think there's more rain forecast for later on today. But they say snow accumulations... Mainly slight and over higher ground. So where are we in London? Lower ground. Are we going to get snow? I shouldn't think so. Uh, A few clear spells. Tomorrow, it's bright, wind staying light, cloudy start. And Friday, winds, breezy and cold Saturday. No no snow forecast. I mean, everybody up in Perth is going, you're so lucky. We've had the snow, you've had nothing. It's quarter past six. Hello, on LBC. Morning, everybody. 6.20 is the time. It's Wednesday, the 21st of January. Uh, Talking about fakes on eBay, Steve, says Michael. I mean, this is a classic one here. He says, I bought uh, a medication for my dog recently, which turned out to be a fake from Hungary. My, my pet had a terrible reaction to it. Why on earth would you buy pet medicine on eBay? Unless you thought you were getting a bargain. And if you're getting a bargain, do you not think there's something the matter with it? Mind you, I got a thing from one lady, and she said she's been selling on eBay for 14 years. She said, I don't sell fakes. No, I'm sure you don't. I didn't say you did, but there are loads of people who do. 90% of the branded stuff on there is fakes. It's as simple as that. I remember a friend of mine bought a pair of shoes and he thought they were, I can't remember, boss or whatever they turned out to be. And uh, we said to him, they're going to be fake. And he went, no, they won't be. He said, because they're, they're sort of just pitched at the right price. Anyway, when they arrived, they turned out to be fakes. And the fakes are so good now. Listen, if there's 50 million pound, one pound coins in circulation that are fakes... You know, I mean, we've obviously come to accept the fact that you can just put it into circulation. £20 notes, £50 notes, £10 notes, all fakes. More than £11 million last year was picked up because it was fake. I mean, it does make you check. I mean, I love it. Whenever you give a note in a shop, they hold it up to the light. I've started doing the same. If I give them a £20 note and they give me a tenner back, I stand there and hold it up to the light. And they've said to me, what are you doing? I said, I'm checking your notes, not fake. You know, you're assuming that I might give you a fake note. Well, I'm assuming you're giving me one. I don't mess around. So don't buy medication on eBay. Don't buy anything like that. Anything branded, really. Just take your... You know, you've really got to be careful. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Weather, as I say, not not particularly brilliant this week, but no snow. I think we might have seen the last of it. I think with a, with a bit of luck, we might actually have avoided the snow, which is good. Um, Dennis says, uh, stalactites, C for ceiling... Stalactites, G for ground. No, we just remember tights come down. Stalactites come down because tights come down. It's so much easier, Dennis. Don't make it complicated. Goodness sake, honestly. I don't know. No, not hold on tight. Stalactites come down. Tights come down. Why don't I explain this to you? Yes. Well, mine doesn't have to be sordid. I'm just saying, well, how do you put tights on? And before you say... No, well, I'm talking about tights, because when you do stalactites, that's how you know that they're the ones hanging down from the ceiling, because tights come down. They don't go up. Do... They're not holding on tight at all. 
Do you know, honestly, I sometimes think I'm like banging my head. I'd rather we had, I'd rather we went back to the strip show of yesterday because when it comes to discussion programs, honestly, it's like banging your head against a wall. Eight four eight five zero Steve at lbc dot co dot uk. Somebody agrees with me and says uh, Cheryl a chav. Yeah, she is chief chav. Well, she's not. Colleen Rooney's chief chav. Cheryl's a chav. Of course, she is. You seen the family? What? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. And she hasn't really worked hard at all. In fact, she didn't achieve anything for ages and ages until L'Oreal picked her up, and now apparently they've dropped her. So there you go. Ha-ha. <laughs> 84850, uk. Quickly, let me clear up a few of these before I run through the uh, remainder of the front pages of the papers for today. I've always had a thing, says Kevin the Milkman, for Sarah Brightman. When I used to go into uh, Stringfellows, before it became... Um, a pole dancing place and lap dancing, uh, there was a big picture on the wall of Sarah Brightman in Hot Gossip. And it was on the way to the gents' toilet. We always used to laugh. It covered the whole of the wall. Covered the whole of the wall. Uh, Wendy in Farnborough says, I decided to watch Judge Rinder yesterday. Yawn, yawn. Oh, it's dreadful. It's so pretentious. It's ghastly. Ghastly. Uh, The Times this morning, front page. The terror trial of Imran Kawaja, a jihadist from West London. A pathetic waste of space. And um, he appeared with a severed head and then tried to pretend that he died, which, of course, didn't work at all. When he came back, he was arrested. The Daily Express today stars paying the emotional tribute to TV's Deirdre, which they will tonight. I don't know when they show the National Television Awards. I've always found it a quite tedious programme. I'd rather watch the highlights of it. Uh, Britain marching towards the EU exit door, according to the Express. 80% want us to quit the EU. Metro today on the front page. They're doing the British jihadist who faked his own death who's been arrested. The Sun, my farewell vigil as Deirdre slipped away. There were about four or five of them in the room. And uh, Bill Roach said she was loved by millions and she was beautiful. It's always sad to be at the end of of somebody's life. Very sad. And even sadder when you've worked with somebody for that long. I'd be the same if it was anybody round here. Seriously. Well, not anybody round here. But, you know, sort of generally speaking, if it's somebody you've known for a long while. Uh, The new face of L'Oreal is Twiggy. She's an OAP. But she looks fantastic. The £20 heart attack test, which will save thousands of women. It's a blood test. Uh, the Daily Mirror today, My Life, Loves and Regrets. Anne Kirkbride's incredible story in her own words. Seems a bit odd, doesn't it? Probably from beyond the grave. And Bill Roach will lead the stars in the standing ovation tonight. I predicted it would be a standing ovation, and I was not wrong. Women keeping the faith. Men doubt God. Men doubt God. So women are far more likely to believe in God than men. Mainly because if you go to churches now, the majority of people in there are women. Because they live longer. They live much, much longer. So they're now, and they've done a a study of 9,000 people. They've been doing it for 25 years. And they discover that that women keep the faith a lot longer. Men are slightly doubtful. Paramedics told your strike over pay could kill patients. That's on the, uh, the Telegraph. And the Independent outcries. The Chilcot report is delayed until after the... Election. Matthew Norman, uh, who talks about Jews, should know they are cherished in Britain. We certainly cherish Matthew Norman. That's it for this morning. Thank you very much indeed for your uh, for your time today. It is bitterly cold out there. It's not it's it's not as cold as it has been in certain parts of the country, but it's certainly enough to make you want to put on a at least a very thick scarf and a hat. Vince says you might get up if tights come down. Listen, leave it with the tights thing, all right? I think I was right. Stalic tights, down. Stalic mites, up. OK, simple as that. Uh, I'm back with you tomorrow morning on LBC between 4 and 6.30.
So uh, don't forget to podcast. I'll have a free podcast up for you very, very shortly, including the staggering news that Alicia Duval only learnt the alphabet three years ago. Small wonder she's known as the brainless bimbo. And that's even in the Big Brother house. Even people in there are saying you didn't actually realise that somebody of her age could be that dim, but uh, she is. You can listen to LBC whenever and wherever you like. Download the LBC app or there's TuneIn Radio too. And if you missed any of today's show, there's our podcast services.